0: Welcome to episode 3419 of the Survival Podcast. Today's episode, Choosing a Better Diet for 2024. And this was totally unplanned, but I was I pinged Ken Berry this morning to ask him a question. And we started chatting by instant message because he was actually available by instant message for once. And decided, hey, why not have Ken on? So, Ken, welcome to the show today, man. Yeah, it's a pleasure to chat with you again, Jack. Um, I'm actually streaming this on a couple of my platforms and for, for my followers uh, Jack Spierko is one of the preeminent voices in being prepared, whether there's an ice storm and the power's out for two weeks or there's a tornado or there's a hurricane, or if something worse happens, this guy, I've been listening to this guy for 15 years easily about being prepared. And so if you're, if you're wondering who that scruffy looking guy is over on the other side of the screen, that's Jack Spierko. Uh, if you want to know how to, prepare yourself and your family for the inevitable. It's going to happen. You're going to have a hurricane, a tornado, a power outage, water outage, something or something worse, right? And I love Jack's common sense approach. You know, if things get bad, you're going to be prepared. If they don't get bad, it's still going to be okay that you've got some stored food and stored water. It's not a big deal. It doesn't make you a kook. It makes you uh, wise in the old sense of that word. You want to have a little wisdom. You need to be able to take care of your family For a week or two should something bad happen so uh, i love him as a source of information well thanks ken and real quick before we start plowing into this if y'all want to ask a question know this if you're on my youtube or ken's facebook i can see your questions in the back office if you have a question for us we'll handle that at the end unless something really speaks to us tom has given you the example here to follow if you're in the live stream he's got the word question and then the in all caps, and then the, word, the words that follow it are the actual question. If you do that, I will star you and you will go into a special list and we'll try to get back to you and, and follow this up. Though I know this will be a more popular stream because we got Ken's celebrity status with us today. And uh, you are listening to an episode of the Survival Podcast, so if you're tuning in to see Ken because you're on Ken's channel, just know that I'm the goof in charge today, and that means I'm going to pimp something right, right out of the gate here because I need to get this done. I sat on my feet too long with this. I, For those that know what I do, I do a lot of stuff in this world that we're talking about today, which is diet, but it's lifestyle design. It's homesteading. It's prepared, it's like ten set, et cetera, and I have a method of composting. We have a new composting course coming out, an online course. It's going to be 35 bucks one time to take that course. Totally worth it but part of that is i want a video of actually one of my bioreactors being assembled so the weekend of january 6 or 7 i don't know which day we're going to do cuz we're going to stay flexible on this i have a class going it's 70 it's 70 bucks or 75 bucks and so it really costs you about 35 cuz you get the the online course for free as part of it and it's going to be like a bonus we add to the course badass food cool people to hang out with i put it out friday afternoon cuz we weren't sure on the dates and uh, so one person sign up. So if we don't get five, six people to sign up in the next couple of days, we'll probably push it further out. And we're staying flexible with the weather, too, guys. This time of year in Texas, we can have Indian summer and it can be gorgeous out like it is today or it could be miserable. I don't want miserable students. So you can read the write up. It's at the survival dot com. Scroll down and let's get on into uh this topic with Ken. And again, I'm really grateful to have him with us today. Yeah, we're talking about choosing a diet for 2024. And I have provided uh Ken with my notes, so he knows at least what we're talking about today. Um, But I want to start out with how we're defining diet for this episode. I'm sure you deal with this all the time. I want to go on a diet to lose weight, right, Ken? And it's yeah. like, no, no, no. I'm defining diet is like the lion on the Serengeti has a diet that includes gemsbuck and el- uh, uh, antelope, right? Like, what is the normal thing that you eat on a daily basis without having to check a, a chart to see what you should be eating? Like we're talking about a way of living a lifestyle here. Yeah. And that's the way the word diet is used in all the scientific literature. When you talk about a gorilla diet or you talk about any animal's diet, that means what they eat on a daily basis. Only in modern society where we've all become fat and, and pre-diabetic or diabetic do we talk, use the word diet. In its modern connotation, it, that, that's not the way the word diet is used scientifically. And it triggers people. They're like, well, I don't consider uh, low-carb or keto or carnivore a diet. And I'm like, well, you should, because that's what it is. But I, I get what they're saying. Mm-hmm. That's not the classical word, use of the word diet. And, and then another thing, I want to say this for Ken's benefit, because we're fixing to give some people uh, emotional heart attacks here in a second. We're going to go through stages of adjusting that diet. And where we're going to start off is not keto, it's not carnivore, it's not even close. And that doesn't mean that Ken or I are saying this is what you should do. We're both adherents to what Ken calls proper human diet. I'm Probably ketovore would be the best way to describe the way that I eat 99% of the time. Ken's probably more toward all the way carnivore. Um, It's made amazing things happen in my life. I was just showing some Ken from some pictures of me from 10 years ago. Uh, and he's like, I'd love to know what your fasting insulin was. I don't even know. But I can tell you that my A1C was up into like six ish, yeah, six, two yeah. at the worst I ever had. My my last time I had labs done, my A1C was a 5.4. Sweet. Yes. So I'm not. So as we go into this, we're not saying, hey, you should quit ketovore yeah. or carnivore and go backwards. We're just saying there's a whole lot of people out there with a whole lot of problems. We're going to be talking about some of those problems here in a second that I want you on an on ramp somewhere to doing better. And then you might like what happens and you might do more. So that's how we're coming at this. And I also want to talk about something real quick here. And that's genetics. I think both of you and I are kind of like the whole eat right for your type is kind of bullshit. And that anybody will do well if they go all the way toward the proper human diet. Yeah, but there is something in genetics. I remember at my one of my workshops, you said if Jack or I look at carbohydrates, we put weight on. Yeah, right? there is something in the genetics of this, and I don't absolutely. think you going to eat right for your type. I think it's that you you have more tolerance for going the wrong direction depending on your genetics, maybe. Yeah, no, and that's that's absolutely documented in the literature. Uh there you know, so two thirds to three quarters of the adult human population on the entire earth is lactose intolerant. And we talk about lactose intolerant as a as a disease, but it's not, mm-hmm. it's actually the normal state for human beings. But it, at least four, if not five, different times in human evolution, we have developed something called lactase persistence, mm-hmm. which enables us to tolerate lactose, the sugar in, in milk. And then we can actually use the milk as a food. And so that is is that that is genetic, right? And then also uh, we have upregulated the amylase um, genes several different times in human evolution where we could actually break down starch. And some populations of humans have many more copies of that those genes than others. And so some people can break down that starch much more readily than others can, Again, that's genetics, and I would opine that there are many other genetic variables that will ultimately help decide what your proper human diet is. For some people, that sh- it doesn't need to include any dairy whatsoever because of their genetics. Some people, it needs to include no starchy foods whatsoever because of your genetics, and there are probably many other things as well that just haven't been discovered yet because back in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, we stopped doing real nutrition research because we had all these pharmaceuticals that could fix any problem. And so we just stopped looking at root causes and just started doing research on, you know, million dollar pills. And I'm sure you've noticed this as well. If you look at groups of people who were very close to hunter gatherers still, even a couple hundred years ago, aboriginals in Australia, uh, the children of slaves that came to the new world out of Africa, et cetera. When they go off and start eating a modern diet, oh. the obesity rates that they experience are far beyond what you or I would. I mean, like some of the amount of weight that they'll carry in their, 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 their backside, for instance, it just, you almost look at it and go, how is that even a thing? And I think it's the genetics we're hitting on the closer you are to like that. O prototype blood. type, You're probably an O. I'm guessing a positive or negative. The closer you are to the primitive archetype, the less tolerance for this modern diet you have. Oh, absolutely. And again, that's well documented in the literature. Uh, People of Polynesian descent, people of African descent, people of Native Americans, any of these uh, kind of older protected uh, DNA repositories. The modern diet, the industrial diet, the, the town diet, it just wreaks havoc on their metabolic health. And we see this in African-Americans in the United States. Their, their rates of amputation, I think, are five or six times higher than the rate of amputation in Caucasian or people of European descent. Their rates of kidney failure, their rates of blindness, off the charts, five, six, ten times more than people of European descent. And, and we see this in Native Americans. Nisha and I, we were just watching a, 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 a drama. I don't know if it was a series or a movie where we were settling the West. And it was just actually it was known even back then that if if the Native Americans ate the sugar and the flour, that they were going to be dead in just a few years. Hmm. It's going to destroy their health. They all had diabetes eating the, the modern town diet. And so it it matters much more. To people with certain genetic heritage, but I think it matters to all of us because ultimately we're all the same species. But for some people, the death, the destruction, the disease, the disability happens much, much quicker. And I love the concept for today's uh, live. That's why I agreed to do it is because in, in the keto community, the carnivore community, the paleo low carb, we're in this silo, right? Where we, yeah. we're, well, duh, everybody knows that eating very low carb, that eating lots of red meat in your diet, everybody knows that that's the best. But the truth is, no, uh, 85% of the population has never heard of this, or it still sounds ridiculous or dangerous or kooky. Or they've Uh, heard of it, and they've heard all the warning bells from the establishment, you'll die, you need carbs for your brain, what other stupid shit they throw out. You can't assume, and I think there's another thing, there's like an elitism that turns people off. Yep. Like when you're like, it's my way or you're going to die. Yep. Then there's this whole fun, like it's a funnel like to bring people to better health, just like yep. a sales funnel. A shitload has to go in for a reasonable amount to come out at the bottom. Yep. And if people fall off to some of the things we're about to talk about, like at least they're not eating seed oils and fructose corn syrup, they're going to be healthier than they are right now. Absolutely. And I think there's a, there's a greater awareness of diet because every time every day in USA Today or CNN or Fox News, you see this new article, you know, Americans are sicker, they're fatter, they're dying prematurely, blah, blah, blah. It's just on and on. And I think there's, there's a greater awakening happening now where the average person five years ago didn't give a, thought to their diet, Jack. Mm -hmm. They just ate whatever was in the pantry. They ate whatever was on sale at the supermarket, right? Because it's all food. What does it matter? And I think there's a ton of people going, wait a minute, maybe it is the food, but I don't even know where to start. And if you watch the average keto influencer or carnivore diet influencer, you're like, that's weird. I don't think I'm going to do that. (laughs) I'm just looking for something that's moderately healthier than what I'm currently eating that kind of makes sense. And so that's why I'm happy to do this with you today to talk about, okay, so for the last decade, you haven't given any thought to your diet at all. You just ate whatever the hell you ate. And that was just fine. It didn't matter. But now you're like, maybe there's it, the food does matter, but I don't even know where to start. That's the people this is for. Absolutely. So as we get into that, let's start off also with something that I think we need to say we were making fun of the fact that I used to be a fat ass. And I said, hey, you used to be a fat ass, too. And weight okay. loss is an indicator of health. Yes. It's not the only indicator. Absolutely not. And, and I remember you at one of my workshops saying, here's these labs. And I want you to go through, like, a real quick list of the labs you should ask your doctor for. But the other thing that you said, and it kind of is, even though it was, like, two years ago, part was in my brain and made me do this show today. You said there are some people, they bring their carbs. And you meant total carbs, not net. Under 100. And all this stuff just... Comes in a line, and that's kind of that genetic thing. But can you speak to that and the, the labs that you should tell your doctor you want run, whether they want to do it or not? Yes. So everybody over the age of twenty, if you've been eating the the, the standard Western diet, the modern diet, whatever's at the supermarket, you immediately need to have your hemoglobin A1C checked. That's going to give us a three month estimate of what your blood sugar's been running. Most doctors know about that test. And if you ask for it, they'd be like, yeah, I don't think you need it, but we'll check it. That's fine. The second test, which arguably is the most important test, anybody who lives in modern society needs to have checked is a fasting insulin. Very, very, very important. The average doctor in the United States will say, well, I, don't, I you're not a type one diabetic. I don't know why you would want that because most people even people who don't fatten easily like Jack and I do who don't develop Prediabetes easily like Jack and I do they might have a normal body weight and they might have a normal A1c But if you check that fasting insulin all of a sudden it pulls back the curtain of your metabolic health And although you may be slender and maybe just have a little belly pooch not much and your blood sugar is normal and your a1c is normal all of a sudden, you see that you have this hyperinsulinemia. And unless you have a tumor, which only about one person out of 100,000, that's why they have hyperinsulinemia. 999,999 people are going to have hyperinsulinemia because they're eating too many highly processed carbohydrates that's why their fasting insulin is high and then everybody's going to get a lipid panel check because their doctor wants to know what their total cholesterol and their LDL cholesterol is but I want you to focus on your triglycerides and your HDL which are part of the standard lipid panel if your triglycerides are very very high you're eating too many carbohydrates if your HDL cholesterol is very very low You're eating too many carbohydrates and not enough fatty red meat. And then the final lab test is a CRP, which stands for C-reactive protein. Most docs won't have a problem ordering that if you ask for it. That's going to show the level of chronic inappropriate inflammation in your body. And we, we kind of talked about gluten and we talked about lactose. And so a lot of people don't realize there's many other things that can be in the modern diet that can be inflammatory to you, depending on your your DNA, your genetics, your heritage. And so you're not going to know if your body's inflamed. If you're eating the standard Western diet and you don't check a CRP, you're going to be like, well, no, I feel normal. Like you, you. Jay, I wish you'd throw that picture up and let everybody see. <laughs> I'll, it, again, I'll, I'll do it. it, uh, do it. Uh, throw it up because I want, I'd love to use that as an example. Uh, and keep in mind when Jack and I talk about people being fat we're not shaming we're not judging uh, he and i used to be fat by i, I can promise you <laughs> that if i'm going to show you this picture i'm not shaming fatness exactly uh, right we're trying right? to help I mean, we're not trying to shame like here this is me oh not that one show the other one. that one's nothing i want to nothing oh uh, you want the one where i'm leaning back in the yes, chair yes 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 show that where picture where is and, that uh first of all thanks to Jack for for Understanding that we need to be helping people. If somebody wants to make fun of him because he was fat 10 or 15 years ago, who cares? I don't soon give in, a shit. I, I've said that. Out. Like making fun of somebody that used to be fat for used to being fat, that's kind right. of like some weak sauce blank shooting, right? Like Exactly. You, can you mag it up a little bit, Jack? I don't know if you can do that or not on screen. Uh, right? I can figure out a way. Give me a minute. Okay. So, there we go. There, there we go. Look there, that. look at that. So you, were, you were definitely pre diabetic right here. Oh, so no doubt. It's Jack's fasting insulin level right here was probably 40, 50, 60, 70. But he didn't know. He, he, he probably knew he was pre-diabetic, but he didn't know he was hyperinsulinemic because that was not something anybody talked about back then. No. I guarantee you his CRP was also elevated. He was very inflamed. Look at the look at the swelling. That's not fat in his face. It is some, but but mainly that's just held well, fluid yeah. and inflammation. He was miserable on a daily basis, but that was his standard. He was miserable every day. And one of the strengths of the human species is that we get used to what we get used to. And then that becomes our normal. And we don't realize how miserable we are on a daily basis. And I can, I can talk about this back when I was 35, I thought I was just getting older. My knee hurt every day. I had reflux every day. I had heartburn. I had all the things. And I'm like, well, I'm just getting older. No, dude, you ain't old at 35. How were you in that picture? Relatively. Do you know? Her her thirty mid thirties. Mid thirties. Somewhere in the mid thirties. I had started the show. I think I started the show when I was thirty-seven. I was probably thirty-eight. And I was telling you like part of the problem at that point is I become so successful in the corporate world. I could have anything I want. If I was on the way home and I'm like, you know what I want tonight? I want I want creme brulee and a bottle of Johnny Walker blue tonight. I could pull over, buy it, and come home with it and, and and not apologize. Yep, and I come from a background, a very poor family. So, and a lot of times when you come from a poor family, we're like getting to eat really good with something happening on Sundays at Sunday dinner, and that was pretty much it. When you come into money, you go kind of hog wild, stupid, and that's exactly what happened to me. And back then, I was still going elk hunting on my own, and I was that out of shape, and I could go up a damn side of a mountain and leave a guy ten years younger than me in a better shape sucking wind. So I was like, oh, I'm fine. No. Right. No, 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 no. I was not fine. I was yeah. Not. That was a heart attack waiting to happen. Right there. Yes, here. it in, was. In the next ten, fifteen years, that was a heart attack waiting to happen. And and I grew up in a family so poor that my other family members didn't even know that there were other food options. <laughs> uh, my my grandmother, paternal grandmother, Granny Berry, she grew up during the Great Depression, and they were so poor that they didn't even know there was a Great Depression. We're right in the midst. Same. Of They had no idea because they could see chickens walking underneath the floor because of the cracks in the floor before the Great Depression, during the Great Depression, and after the Great Depression. Did nothing change for them? Man, we have similar backgrounds. My grandpa used to tell me, said, so one day they told us there was a depression, and we didn't notice. Then they told us there was a war. We noticed that, and we came back from the war. They said the depression was over, and we still didn't notice, except most of us had— taking our salary from the military and paid off our houses. Yep. That that was the big, th- that was the big deal to my grandfather that when he got out of the Navy at the end of World War II, his house was paid for. Right. Yep. That was, that was economic good times. His house was paid for. Absolutely. You know? And so when I, when I went to med school, got out, I'm a doctor now. I discovered all these new culinary things. Yeah. That I literally had no idea existed. And so I went kind of hog wild like you did. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to have this, real cheese cake macaroni and cheese well shit son oh, me right, right, exactly but and so people need to understand right off the bat that just because a food is expensive or is looked at as an upper class food that ha- that has no bearing on its healthiness whatsoever yeah, right. yeah yeah let's let's talk about some things that have happened since 1970 and in 71 I know there's people especially in your audience maybe you haven't talked about fiat money as much as I have Get my struggle with this, but in 1971, the U.S. left what was left of the gold standard. We got fake money, and fake food came with it. So I always start these projections in 1970, and in '71 is where it really goes crazy. 11.6 percent of Americans today are diagnosed with type two diabetes. It was under four percent yep. in 1970, and they asked. This is estimate, but 90 million plus. Are estimated to be pre-diabetic in a country with 330 million people. That's a full third of the people, roughly. Yes. And I think, I think that's underestimate. That's an underestimate. I think if you checked an A1C on every single adult in the United States, the, the rate would be much higher than that. I, I completely agree. Um, almost 1 million Americans today are in end stage renal failure, which means they're either getting dialysis, a transplant or dying. Yep. Right. That, that is, that is, it, I couldn't even find the number in 1970. Uh, it was, it was, it was so small. It was trivial. Yeah. yeah it, and, it didn't and even they out react. of that number on dialysis today, the rate, the rate of which those people are uh, from the black population off the charts, because yep. they react so much worse to sugar laden, high carb, starchy foods. Correct. Now, if you'll like this one, cause you're the one who tuned me into this and I started digging into it years ago. Dialysis centers. You told me there were more dialysis centers than subway sandwich shops. I said, Ken's going a little over the top there. Then I drove from my house to downtown Fort Worth and on one highway saw three dialysis clinics. Now, here's the, here's the monetary side of this. Cause this is part of the, the uh, the, the willingness to continue, continue lying to people. The U.S. dialysis centers market is expected to grow at a compounded annual growth rate of 5.29% between now and the year 2030, and be a $40 billion market in 2030. Yep. That's just the little remote dialysis clinics that you're talking about. Now, do you think people might lie for $40 billion, Ken? Oh, absolutely. And I, I just <laughs> finished—I just finished a book. I was trying—I was going to pull it up and show everybody. Uh, It's called something like how to make a killing. And uh, Jack and I have actually talked about the the dialysis. Uh, It's it's a nasty, dirty market. Uh, Where is that? I got it right here. Let me let me show this. Um, Let me show everybody this. So if anybody wants to dig into just how dirty the there's two big companies that are uh, basically running. Yeah, here we go. Let me. Let me take a picture of this and, and blow it up so I can I show. I think I have it. it. You tell me, is that it? That's it, right there. Yeah. Okay. How to make a killer. And so the 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 dialysis company, Devita, and I can't remember the other com- company, but they have done so many egregious, dirty, nasty, illegal things over the last decade or two. This book chronicles it. I'm 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 trying to set up an interview with Tom Mueller because Jack and I have been talking about this that. Sure on the Davita website, you go and look at the recipes they recommend and the and the dietary recommendations, it's going to make your kidney disease worse. Absolutely it's, it is. It's going to absolutely push you to dialysis quicker than if you listen to Jack or I. And, and then our Jack's question, my question is, is that ethical? Is that moral? When you're recommending a diet that's going to increase your bottom line because people are going to destroy the remaining kidney function, is that moral? Is that ethical? I don't think so, um, but I, I love this book by Mueller. I'm, I'm going to try to get him on my channel. Awesome, and and I'll tell you, folks, I figured this link between Davida and the American Diabetes Association out because of Ken. Ken started publishing these recipes that the ADA was recommending, like oatmeal raisin cookies. With added sugar. With added sugar for diabetics for their kidney health, and I'm like, where is this coming from? And I backtracked it and found this company, DaVita, that Ken mentioned. Their only revenue model is building these dialysis clinics. And they're telling diabetics to eat cookies for dessert after they have a burger on a giant bun to control their diabetic diabetes and improve their kidney health. And I don't even have to ask the question of it's ethical. It's clearly not. This is drag somebody behind a truck level shit here. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. my opinion of it. It's egregious. I totally agree. Um, here's some other stuff. The obesity rate in 1970 was 15% in America. It's 42% today, right? And global seed oil production's about 200 million metric tons globally of growth since 1970. This right here, I'm going to pull this up quick, too, for those on the stream. That's vegetable oil production in the world. Uh, beginning in 1909, it's too big if I blow it all the way up, but right there, uh, 1969 to 1979, you can see where that growth curve begins, and it goes parabolic from there on up. This is, again, why I always go back to 1970. And I I just think about this, and this is where we're going to start getting into some of the diets that, that you can start with. In the 1970s and 80s, when I was a kid, and I would go to the beach when I was growing up in Jacksonville, Florida, I didn't see many fat people. And we were eating bread, and we were eating all this stuff that you and I avoid now. And most people were thin and fit, Yep. but there's a lot of things that people were not eating. They were not eating high fructose corn syrup. They were not eating seed oils, certainly not at the rates that we are today. Right. And that seems to at least be a part of this, which is why I wanted to break it down and kind of start at a lower level. Um, And here's what I figured out just looking at, like, all these different things that people try as eating plans. They all the ones that seem to actually work long term involve whole foods, reduce or totally remove seed oils from the equation have some form of portion control, and it's not necessarily calories, but, like, if you do what me and Ken say and eat beef, bacon, butter, and eggs, you're only going to eat so much. You're going to fill up when you have a fat-based diet. But there's some level of portion control, whether it's intentional or indirect, um, and they reduce or eliminate artificial flavors, addictive additives, concentrated flavorings, added sugar. Like, all that stuff is out there's nothing on there that's like FD&C, color blue, 21-9. Nothing like that in the ingredients of anything, of any diet, that seems to actually make people healthier. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and so let's talk about the 1950s. That okay. was way before my time. I think yep. Jack was alive then, but uh, he's a lot older than me. <laughs> but uh, So in the 1950s, they had cake, they had cookies, they had pie, they had bread, they had potatoes. So how were they so slim? Well, everything was cooked with animal fats. Virtually. The Crisco was becoming popular, but the vast majority of moms and grandmothers still used animal fat for the majority of their cooking. And they they practice a degree of intermittent fasting, but they didn't call it that back then. Basically, you have breakfast at seven or eight. You had lunch at noon. You had dinner at five or six. And when mama cleaned up the kitchen, she better not catch your ass in the kitchen. Time, so you, would, you would get hit with a spatula. <laughs> and so you had this built in 16 hour fast every day. And if you acted up, you got sent to bed with no dinner, no Correct. supper On what part of the country. And so you ate two meals a day with this 18 or 20 hour fasting window. If you were a bad, bad boy like me or Jack, you got sent to bed often. With no supper. And so you were eating animal fats and you were practicing intermittent fasting every single day, even though nobody called it that or even realized that's what it was. And I think that's why they were able to eat cake and cookie and pie and bread during the 50s and still be relatively thin. Aimed Maybe not optimal health, but a hell of a lot healthier than we are as a society today. And we uh-huh. talk about moderation today, and we have no idea what the word means. Here's here's moderation from a kid who grew up in the 70s and 80s with Ukrainian immigrant grandparents. We were uh devoutly Catholic, so we recognized Lent. Yep. And on the on the day that Lent ended, my grandma made homemade donuts. And we made the donuts with the holes, and she fried the holes separately and put powdered sugar on them. And you know how often I got donuts? Once a year. Yep. Once a year at the end of Lent, I got donuts that were made in the house by my grandma, and for fat she was using larder butter, right? And she was frying them in lard, not seed oil. Yep. And and that was the 1980s. Yep. And I, and so that's a that's a good point because when you're looking at Anthropology. You're like, oh, well, humans were doing this at this time. Well, the humans in that location were doing that at that time. Many others didn't do that for decades or centuries later. (laughs) Same thing goes for modern society. There are families, guaranteed there are families who are still using animal fat today, but they're very few and far between. The vast majority of people, are using the vegetable seed oils because they've been touted as healthy and basically the only real choice. You're kind of weird if you don't use canola or corn oil or peanut oil or soybean or sunflower, sunflower, sunflower safflower. Something wrong with you if you're cooking with lard and butter and, and beef tallow. Who the hell even does that? That's weird. And so that's the signal you see in the modern nutrition and medical research is the vast majority of people think that canola, soybean, corn oil, peanut oil, they think that's healthy. They think that's a healthier option, and that's what you're seeing. So, is recommendation gonna, number one for us, Jack, going to be to get the the vegetable seed oils out of your diet? Yeah, yeah. In fact, here's your diet number one for we're going to start going through at six. And again, if you're tuning in from ten side. Don't have an aneurysm. We're going to get the carnivore. We're going to go in stages here. Yes. But you're going to be surprised how quickly you get close to it without even trying to do it if you, exactly. if you follow this regime. So number one, no seed oils, no high fructose corn syrup, no dyes, no artificial additives, limited to three meals a day and one snack. And I, I'm going to say something about snacks right now. Like I'm going to piss some people off. You do not need a damn snack. You are not a five-year-old. But if you want one on that first diet, I'll give you one snack. Yeah. And coming from as a father of six, uh, your five-year-old doesn't need a snack either. No. Well, people think they have to feed their children every two hours or they'll become malnourished and and, and, uh, emaciated. Absolutely (laughs) untrue. Your children do not need snacks. Even if they're playing a soccer game, they don't need candy bars and little uh, cutie wedges every break. That's a that is a modern myth that is completely unnecessary, completely unhealthy, also unnecessary. Absolutely. Now, here's what I find interesting about this. If you just do that and I know, like I said, there's some there's some purists out there and God bless you because I'm one, too. But if you start thinking about what this is going to do to the average person's carbohydrate intake, tell me what box you can pick up off the shelf of the store. And find no seed oils and no fructose corn syrup in it. Yep. Yeah. And, and it's all the way Jack's just phrasing this a little differently than me because what my first three steps are eliminate all sugar, all added sugar. Okay. All of it. And number two, eliminate all grains, wheat, rice, oats, corn. Number three, eliminate vegetable seed oils. And so if you just take those three things out of your diet, you got to eat something. That's the, that's the kicker. Yeah. You'll you only- I and mean, so if you've removed what Jack says or you remove what I said, you're going to be left with meat, eggs, vegetables, some fruits and some nuts. That's that's what you're left with, which is that's that's low carb or keto right there. And that's where my my spectrum of a proper human diet. That's where it begins is only eat meat, veg, nuts, berries, a few fruits. That's that's a low carb diet. By definition, right there. And so you're already within the proper human diet spectrum, but let's not even get into that. Let's just stick with Jack's just step one, step two, step three. Yep. So step two, we're going to do all the same things, but now we're going to look at our carbohydrates. And I tried to not even tell people not to eat wheat or anything because I have a damn heart attack when you talk. About <laughs> it. We'll get there. Trust me, when you start having to make decisions about how much carb you can have in a day, you'll start deciding what goes and you'll start moderating it even if you still eat it. So the next one is you do the exact same thing. You just reduce your total carbohydrates to less than a hundred carbs a day. And I mean, total carbs, not total net. Yep. You also strive to eat food that's organic, grass fed, grown locally, et cetera. The best quality food you can afford. And we've talked about this before. I'd rather a person be full on keto and eat all feedlot beef than all organic and eat rice and bread. So, 100%. but making the move, if you can do it. This is just time to start thinking about what is the quality of the food, not just the quantity. And I know there's a lot of people in the audience here that are going, 100 carbs, that's a lot. So the official number of average carb intake per American is 250 to 300 carbs a day, depending on where you get that number from. But this has been my experience. When I get people say, I want to do keto, but I'm not sure, I have them get an app called keto.app. And I say, don't do shit for two weeks. Eat anything you want. Stay on the same diet. Just record it all and look at it. And most people tell me their carbs are somewhere north of 350 a day. Yep. And the reason I give them that assignment is they come back and go, okay, I see I have a problem here. It's amazing what happens when people just journal what they're eating. You don't make any judgments. Do right. whatever you want. Just know. And so I've had people come back and say they're at 400, 450 yep. carbohydrates. So yep. coming down... To 25% of that number, and and I also feel this way when people start doing that. Well, they're not going to hit 100 every day, right? So they're going to be 70, 75 a lot of days too, and they're going to start eating like you said, less wheat, less flour, less potatoes. All that's going to happen because you're going to have to make decisions based on it. Yep. And let's just be very clear. Me speaking as a, a family physician with over 20 years of practice, if you just follow Jack's step one. And step 2 that is going to completely reverse the prediabetes the type 2 diabetes the hyperinsulinemia the chronic inappropriate inflammation in about 70% of people okay yeah. just that those or if my three steps get rid of added sugar get rid of grains and get rid of vegetable seed oils that's going to fix 70% of the people out there who are overweight obese severely obese prediabetic type 2 diabetic or hyperinsulinemic, that's going to fix them. And so, But there are some people that's not enough, and that's why Jack and I go further. But for the vast majority of people out there who are just trying to get rid of their belly pooch or their, they just found out they're pre-diabetic, just these changes alone, that's all it's going to take to reverse that back to normal. And I also go along with I really feel that if people will go at least that far, anybody can do it. I tell people to go carnivore out of the gate for 60 days to see what happens. Yep. Because if I gave you a million dollars to go to jail for 60 days, you'd have your inmate number tomorrow, right? So we can do right. anything for 60 days. Right. And and I want people to experience clearing their body of all these toxins. You'll probably, if you're as bad a shape as I was, get some form of keto flu. You'll have some misery in between. But by the time you're done will be the first time you can remember in your adult life that this didn't hurt and you didn't even know it hurt anymore because you got used to it hurting. Like you said, people adapt. So what I find is if people will go that far, they'll go further. I don't have to make you, you'll start asking what to do next, or you'll hit like I have a weight loss goal and I'm heading right for it. And then all of a sudden I'll plateau. And you say, how do I get off the plateau? And when somebody asks that question, they're giving you permission. So you're not verbal vomiting on them with Jack and Ken go full on keto or right? Like you're saying, okay, well, let's, let's, let's go a little bit further. And as we start going further, my third level is same as everything we said, but now let's take those carbs down to 50 to 75 carbs a day and strive to get under 50 every other day. Right. And, and that will, a lot of times that'll kickstart something. And I'm back to, this is total carbs, I do believe when you get into trying to be keto and under 20, and we'll get to that, you can trust net carbs if we're talking about broccoli and cauliflower, right? If it's in a box and it says net carbs or a bottle, and it says, throw that shit away. And by the way, most of that stuff, since we're not having these additives and these chemicals and stuff like that, you won't be eating carb-balanced tortillas because it's got seed oils and all that exactly. other crap in it. So exactly. that's why I came at it this way so that you don't have to worry about that when you get down to keto because it won't be there. But a lot of people, you get in that 50 to 75 carbs. And we don't look at that in our space as being carb restrictive. But to the American diet, it's extremely carb restrictive. Oh, totally agree. I think probably the average adult American's eating easy 300 total grams of carbs a day. Easy. And so if you drop that to 100, you're going to fix two-thirds to 70% of the people. If you drop that down to... 50 or 75. Now you're talking 80 percent of the people with who are a little overweight or pre-diabetic or their blood pressure is creeping up. That's going to all go back to normal, just from those little tweaks alone. Not everybody needs to go carnivore and stay carnivore. Mm-hmm. Some people do, but many, many, the majority of people don't ever have to do carnivore to completely reverse their, their metabolic disease being a little overweight, being pre-diabetic, having a little, their blood pressure is a little high. Uh, They're, you know, all my kidney function is not perfect. For the vast majority, 80%, 85% of people, just these things Jack said. That's it. That's all you need to get back to perfectly normal labs and to, to get your weight back close to your ideal body weight, but not for everybody. Some people need to go further. And then if you if you do want to go further or you feel the need to go further at this point, or maybe you want to go further and then come back the other way, like to to like I must say something here is we're like halfway through this. Um, It's really important to understand for a lot of you guys, what we're saying may not be enough in the beginning, even if it is long term. You're an addict. Right. You're an addict. YouTube user here said, I think refined carbs are one of the most addictive things on the planet carbs period are one of the more addictive things on the planet. and um, as you know, I've done a real big deep dive into ancestral diets and what did people really eat? and I will tell you that even ancient societies that had something in their diet that was high in sugar, like let's say if you go into the jungle you can find fig trees that are bigger around in my house and so but the, what would never existed in nature until agriculture is high fat, and high sugar together at the same time. That was a very rare overlap, very short seasonal occurrences. And we used to gain weight in the the, the fat of summer and early fall and lose weight all winter long. And our fat is our vitamin D storage battery. So we are hardwired when we find fat and carb together, eat as much as we can, as fast as we can. In nature, that's okay because it ain't going to happen very often. You give somebody access Mm -hmm. to a Piggly Wiggly store, and you put that together. That's what is the most addictive thing. Give somebody a a, a pound of butter and say, eat as much as you want. They'll eat a bite maybe. You give them dry bread. They'll eat a slice. You put the two together, they'll eat the loaf and the pound of butter. 100%. That And is what big food has figured out put exactly. this together and add some sugar to it, extra sugar and you can sell all of it. Yeah. And they they've actually, the big food manufacturers have spent millions of dollars researching this. It's called the bliss point. And oh. they know that if they get the fat and the sugar ratio just right and add a little salt, that's called the bliss point. And that's why they, they literally brag about it and say, Oh, you can't eat just one. And they're not joking when they say that they, they spent millions in research, Ensuring that you can't eat just one, that you're going to eat the whole bag, and then you're going to eventually start Open another bag, animal sized bag, yeah. and then the, the variety pack, and then eventually that's all you'll eat because and it lift is your fingers addictive. when you're done. Yeah, right. and then we see this same thing in milk Jack. Uh, we all babies are addicted to milk because milk is got carbs, yep. lots of sugar, and it's got lots of fat. It's yep. made that way. And we want our our four-month-old infant, we want that infant to be addicted to mother's milk. We want it yep. to crave mother's milk and, and try to climb and get to her breast. We want that so that baby doesn't starve to death. But as an adult, having access to the fat-sugar combo every day is the definition of chronic disease. Uh, agreed. And just real quick as we keep going through this, There's going to be someone here soon talking about complex versus simple carbohydrates, and I want to just kill that dead right now unless we're talking about actual fiber in a plant, okay? There is no difference biochemically when it goes in your body, and here's a doctor sitting next to me that'll tell you that right here. He'll tell you what I'm telling you is true. I will tell you it, though, as someone who occasionally makes a little bit of moonshine. If you bring me 10 pounds of bread, 10 pounds of potatoes, or 10 pounds of cane sugar, I will make you the exact same amount of vodka. Now, there is only one substance that can be broken down by yeast and converted into ethyl alcohol, and that is sugar. There is nothing else that yeast can turn into ethyl alcohol. If 10 pounds of those three things give me the same amount of ethyl alcohol, and trust me, they do, then there is no, there is no getting around this complex, simple BS. Your body, if you take a saltine, I did this when I was in kindergarten. You probably did, too. You take a saltine cracker, put it on your tongue. It tastes salty and bland and wait a minute and don't swallow it. And it turns sweet because your saliva converts those carbohydrates into a simple sugar. So it's all simple sugar. Please understand that. But adding refined sugar obviously makes bad worse. It's it's bad worse. That's exactly right. So diet four, we get a true, true keto. Everything I've already said so we're not eating high fructose corn syrup here. Can't afford it at this point, right, with the carb allowance. But we're not eating red number seven. We're not eating any of that stuff. So we're not eating the carb balance tortilla that has all that crap in it. We are at 20 to 25 total carbs. Everything else is the same. Net carbs, fine, but only with whole foods. Only yep. with – just because a box says net does not – all these pastas and shit, like I said, they're out anyway. Um, but then the other side is you're looking to try to now get your, now we're going to take a conscious look at fat. What's 60 to 80% of our energy, our calories in from fat, good quality animal fats, etc. cetera. And I'm sure you deal with it all the time more than I do. Cause I talk about this a couple times a month. You talk about it every day, people in their head. When you say that picture a plate and 80% of the volume on that plate is a blubbering fat and 20% is meat, and there ain't no other food. We're still right. at a point where you can have salad and stuff like that as long as you keep it in, in balance. Fat is so much more calorically dense than protein. It doesn't look that way. A ribeye, you know, if you look at a, a nice ribeye, nicely marbled, that's about a perfect ratio. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you cook the ribeye in, in either bacon grease or butter that's going to be about a one-to-one fat to protein ratio, which in my opinion, for anybody just starting this, that's the, that's the ratio of perfection where you're, that's what's going to bring you your best health. The more you often you replicate that. And so if you can afford a ribeye cooked in butter every day, that is the ultimate health food. Yep. I agree. I agree. And I eat a lot of other cuts of cow, but that is my favorite. You can keep your tenderloins folks. I don't, I don't need filet. Like, I it's mean, ain't saying I won't eat it. I'm just saying, like, I don't crave it. Right. You want that fat ratio in there. We eat a lot of New York strip. We eat a lot of chuck. Uh, lots of fat, lots of marbling. I, I don't know if you're familiar with a Denver steak, but if you mm-hmm. find out what that is, you're probably going to eat them for the rest of your life. It's like, right. It's like a Kobe version of a ribeye, and it's on a regular cow, and it's the— it's the offside of the chuck eye in the chuck. Like it's just a beautiful steak and more of that you can eat the better. But I'm just trying to get across to people. This doesn't mean you're eating a tub of lard and a couple of chunks of meat. The fat is way more calorically dense. Yes. And, and lots of eggs too. I mean, that's another, I think eggs are a super food. Uh, you know, I keep ducks and we eat duck eggs all the time. And, and it's one of the things like if you had for breakfast or I eat more like I'll have what I would call breakfast when Ken and I are done I haven't eaten today at all other little cream Nor have I. right and I'm not hungry no nope. like back in that picture I showed you you know what I'd look right now sweat would just be pouring out of my head I'd be shaking and yelling at you right that's how I used to get now it's no big deal but eggs if you eat some eggs and bacon for for breakfast at noon you have to remind yourself to eat dinner before it gets too late every day that's my life uh grab that comment from bill about sourdough Uh, let's talk about bread for a second because there's so many misconceptions about bread so all of our ancestors they never ate grains that were not processed properly and i just did a a great live interview with uh, dr bill schindler about this And he has a restaurant. He's an archaeologist, and and he's been all over the world, all the blue zones, everywhere. Nobody before just a few thousand years ago would ever eat grains without preparing them properly, which involves soaking them, sprouting them, fermenting them. They just knew better. But through the trial and error of thousands of years of eating things and then watching the effects, they had learned you don't eat you don't eat beans. You don't eat legumes. You don't eat grains without preparing them, yeah. processing them. And and so all these things were soaked and sprouted and fermented and baked. And so sourdough is a great example. You can buy sourdough sourdough at the supermarket. Do you think that's real sourdough? No, <laughs> the, food, the food chemists have tweaked their little chemicals so that it kind of tastes like sourdough bread and so you can pretend if you would like that that's real sourdough but when you make sourdough bread at home properly first of all it ain't easy second of all it takes a long damn time third of all then you you eat it now do i think the 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 somehow the carbohydrates in sourdough bread properly prepared are are less no they still count you got to count those carbs Correct, but the inflammatory nature of the of the bread is much less bad than just the routine bread bread you buy at the supermarket. The carbohydrates still count. I'm sorry, but sourdough bread made properly, the old-fashioned way, is less inflammatory. Correct. And Correct. a lot of people they get confused about that. They're like, no, my wife makes sourdough bread at home, and by God, blah blah blah. Yeah, I know. It's not as inflammatory but it's the carbs still count. I'm sorry. You have reduced one of the problems, but not the other problem, which is how much blood sugar you are creating in your body. Like I said, when you eat a saltine cracker, you ate sugar. When you eat a potato, you ate sugar. You ate a sweet potato because they said it was lower on the glycemic index. Great. Your insulin spike will happen. It'll go just as high. It'll take a little longer to get there. It doesn't matter. You still jacked up your blood sugar, You've created a, an insulin response, and every time you do that, you lower your insulin sensitivity, and it takes more insulin to do the same job, and then you end up with a nation full of type 2 diabetics. Yep, So exactly right. Before anybody thinks we're being Gestapo on you now, we done gave you three diets. You can eat all the damn sourdough you want, in as long as you stay in check and you make your own. at I'm a, he's, some of your people are going to have an aneurysm when you see my item of the day at the end of the show today, because it's a book on how to make bread because I wanted to, I, I did that because I wanted to be seen as sincere in this because we're taking a turn now where we're going to get very regimented on the way that we eat. You don't have to do it. We're just going to tell you everything. And we're going to be honest with you, even when you don't like the honesty, right? I mean, that, that that's flat out. Like, and if some of you are thinking, well, what about like one meal a day, two meal a day, all that? We're going to get to that because they can go in any one of these diets. So I broke yep. them out separately. Um, but diet four is a true keto, 20 to 25 total net carbs. Foods, uh, again, you want to try to get 60 to 80 percent of your calories from fats. Five is a word I believe you invented, Ken. It's ketovore. So it's almost carnivore. Nisha, she is the mother of ketovore. Okay, so Nisha created ketovore is a yep. word. Um all i just define that as almost carnivore, herbs are okay, small amounts of greens, some berries from time to time, but the primary diet is almost all animal foods. Yes. Most meals are probably carnivore even though they don't have to be. Exactly. Yep. And the, so ketobores typically under 10 total grams of carbohydrates a day. Okay. With and so there's two things we got to understand once you get to this level. There's the total carbohydrate count And when I first started talking about this in 2017, I thought that was all that mattered. But now I'm well aware that there's a second question. How inflammatory is the carbohydrates you're about to eat for your personal physiology? Ah. And that's the other big thing. How how many carbs, how inflammatory is it for you personally? And so Nisha, for example, she eats uh, on average 10 total grams of carbs a day if you average up over a month. There are certain carbs that she loves, but cannot touch. One is is greens, like turnip greens, mm-hmm. um, any of the greens. If she okay. eats them, immediate gut inflammation. She looks three months pregnant. She's got gas. She's got diarrhea for two or three days, and she loves greens. Okay, collards. Oh, she loves them, but it, but they are too inflammatory for her. So even though they're the low greens collards, total, but specifically brassias. Right. Exact. All the She if she loves them, but she cannot eat them, gotcha. or she's going to get inflammation. And so that when you get down to under keto, as far as the carb count, ketovore, carnivore, and even something called the lion diet, those are for people who have inflammatory responses to certain things that although they may be low carb, they, they're they too inflammatory for their personal physiology. And uh, ketovore, carnivore, and lion diet, that's really getting into the area of where people with autoimmune conditions or people with known inflammatory response mm-hmm. to either dairy or certain plants uh, or even certain spices for some people, they have to tighten their diet up even more so that they have an ideal body weight, a perfect A1C, a perfect fasting insulin, and remember that last test, CRP, C-reactive protein. Some people have to eliminate other foods if they want their levels of inflammation in their body to also be normal. So, I've I've heard that in a variety of different uh, carb sources, vegetable sources. And yep. some people like they might as well be carnivore, like you said, just told them because they can't like <clears throat> it's like the things that are left that are low carb jack up their inflammation markers, even if some of the higher carb things don't yep. as heavily. Uh, I've known many people, nightshades are out. Eggplant, peppers, tomatoes can't have it, and they don't even know they can't have it until they eliminate it and put it back in, and I want to talk about that as we get to the, the final level here in a second, where I can eat uh, probably the vast majority of the carbohydrates I consume come from one of those three things, peppers, tomatoes, and eggplant, yep. maybe some cucumbers. Right. And I eat a lot of green salad, too. I eat a lot of like fresh grown arugula and some of the leaf lettuces. I don't really like iceberg lettuce, Um, but small amounts of it. Or if I'm doing a soup instead of a noodle or something like everybody's, I'll throw a handful of fresh arugula in there at the very end and wilt it down. And that works for me, but it may not work for you. And that's where I really want people to consider going as far as possible at some point in this walk so that as you add things back in, you can identify that because I can't tell you how long I was miserable and didn't know I was miserable because you get these aches. And like I said, you adapt to them. And now I know like if we go somewhere and I'm like, screw it, I'm just going to have like some chips and some stuff. I eat that shit. The next day, my back hurts. I feel like an old man all of a sudden. And I guess I'm getting there, but I feel older than I am. And I didn't know And so now I can easily identify this thing jacks with my inflammatory markers and this thing doesn't. Yep. So our last one, full carnivore, and and I just described that as all your food comes from something that had a face. Beef, bacon, butter and eggs is what you say. I'll throw if it's real cheese, I'll throw cheese in that mix. And I think one of the things people need to understand when you say beef and bacon, you mean animals. Yeah. Like lamb goes in that. Right. Like, you just try to, yeah. like you're not specifically saying the only part of the pig you can have is the bacon. Leave and the it. reason we, we chose bacon because it it, it rhymes, you know, yeah. it starts with the letter B. It's easy yeah. to remember, but also the fat to protein ratio of bacon is about one. To Absolutely. One. And so fat back is fine. Hog jowl, uh, pork belly, all those things are fine. The thing that the pork that I wouldn't recommend is like a big dinner ham. Cause it's too lean or a pork chop. The way most butchers would cut the pork chop yeah, is too sure. lean. You're getting all this protein without the fat that should come with it. Whereas beef butter, bacon and eggs. Uh, when we buy ground beef, we buy, we buy 70, 30. We never buy 80, 20 or 85, 15. Never. It's always 70, 30. And when we have our local processor, uh, butcher a cow for us and process a cow, I would fire him if it was anything leaner than 70 30 he knows that yeah he knows yeah. That i want all the yeah. fat when he trims my ribeyes i've got the full fat cap on there because that's the way human beings are supposed to eat keto and carnivore are not high protein diets necessarily they are going to have more protein in them than the standard western standard american diet that's not the that's not the main that's not what makes them work it's that that comes with it because that's gonna give you a level of satiation, of fullness, of being full for a long damn time. It's uh, 1 p.m. here. I haven't eaten, I'm not the least bit hungry. I probably won't mm-hmm. eat today yeah. until 4 p.m. And yes, I don't know thanks. if Jack have you had your lunch bacon and eggs yet or not yet? No. no I'm gonna have no. duck I'm gonna have duck eggs and some sausage I made myself when nice. we're done. Nice when we're done. So how are these two men in their fifties? Jack's a lot older than me but how are these two men in their fifties? They haven't eaten all day. How are they not hangry? How do they not have low blood sugar? How do they seem so mentally focused and able to do this almost hour long live without being distracted or, or nodding off and falling asleep? Falling asleep How that like <laughs> Ask yourself yeah. that question if you don't if you don't think diet matters much. Ask yourself that question. How is that possible? Yeah, definitely. And I'll tell you like some of the things I'll do, like I'll go by like I think one of the best things you can get for the money is a full New York strip loin, right? And you cut your own meat off that. Now where I do differ with you, I take quite a bit of the fat off of that because the fat cap on there can be an inch and a half thick and it just doesn't cook well, but not a bit of that fat goes away. I I'll run. So what I'll do, I'll buy a bunch of big cuts. I do it all at once and I take everything aside for the grinder and I'm going to get that fat ratio about 75 to 25 in my ground. All the extra fat, i put it through the thick side of the grinder. After I'm done with grinding the meat, because i got to clean the grinder anyway, I throw that in a crock pot, and I render that to tallow. Right. And when I make a lean cut, and I do that with pork too, if I make a lean cut like a pork chop or whatever, I throw a freaking duck egg with a runny yolk on top of it. Oh, yeah. And when I'm cooking that thing, I'm bathing it in tallow or rendered lard yep. and some sort of form of seasoning. So that's going to take that lean cut and bring the fat ratio up in it. And I know there's people that maybe are from more of the Atkins school of thought with the, uh, the carb restriction. That's where I originally came from. I never made it stick like I have with this though, because without the fat, you don't satiate the appetite and you're going, it's it's like being an alcoholic hanging out in a bar, you're going to drink. That's what happens without that fat to satiate you. You're going to go back to the carbs. At some point, you can't help it. Yep. You just, because you're an addict. And I think we need to like, be honest. Like the average American is an addict and it's no more your fault than the opiate addict who was told by their doctor in the nineties. Thanks Purdue pharma. Yep. It's interesting how Purdue seems evil, no matter which Purdue we're talking about here. Uh, thanks, Purdue Pharma. Um uh, when your doctor told you if you're actually in pain, you can't get addicted to opiates. Yep. Which, which is, is the most act- asinine pile of bullshit I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Perfect analogy. And uh-huh. just like uh, in the in the the past decades when doc when filtered cigarettes came out. And doctors said, "Oh, you got to stop smoking those unfiltered camels. They're really bad for you. Smoke these yeah. new filtered cigarettes." Yeah. Doctors literally gave that device to their patients. They're like, "See, I smoke filtered. You got to, you don't smoke." I, I've the seen the ads from the '50s. More doctors smoke camels than yeah. any other brand yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So, the, what Jack his point is, it's not your fault, but it absolutely is your problem and your responsibility. It's It is, and you've got to own it and go. Okay, it's not my fault. I'm a carb addict. It's not my fault that I thought all these things at the supermarket were healthy, but it is. It's my problem because I'm the one with a, a 48 inch waist and pre-diabetes and hypertension and in, in you know uh, in, in all kinds of other things uh, that you know E D, things we don't want to talk about. It's not your fault, but it is your problem, my friend. And, and you're going to have to take charge of your diet, uh, either by following my steps or jack steps i don't care which i literally don't care because either one's going to get you where you need to be which is a proper human diet so you know i've had a lot of debates with vegans and, and and things like that and what they'll always say is if you look at the if you look at the data the vegans in this country are healthier than the people eating the standard diet and my response to that is everybody on any regimented diet is better than all the people in line at the state fair because you're actually focusing on what goes in your body. So I I do not advise veganism for anybody, but I won't get in somebody's way that wants to do it. I will say if you want me to design a diet that's vegetarian, but lacto-ovarian vegetarian, I can get very damn close to what we're talking about even here at the end. Yep. But if you take away eggs and you take away butter and you take away cream and things like that, I'm at a loss for what to tell you. Yep, I totally agree. Yeah. And I love it when somebody goes vegan. I love it because it means they're thinking about the food they're eating. Sure. And and sure. when they go vegan, it's just a matter of time before that's going to turn into either keto, keto or very often some, carnivore. Because some, they're, once, they're not going to stay there. Thinking about their food, That's that's it. They're now awake. And sooner or later, they're going to be eating a proper human diet. Yeah. And it's... I would say veganism is a modern luxury. Oh, like you so. can't. I, I've challenged people. No, these monks here. No, no, no. no. Yeah. Find me an indigenous society that was vegan. There isn't one. No, I was just interviewing just a mi- few minutes ago an archaeologist, paleoanthropologist, and he said unequivocally, the research is very clear. There has never, ever been a society before seven, eight, nine thousand years ago that was vegan. Ever. And not only was there not, there could not have been because in order to not starve to death on a vegan diet before uh, the modern agriculture revolution, you had to cook the food. And so by the time you had done all the gathering and by the time that you had gathered the firewood to cook the vegetables with, you would you would be at a negative nutrition balance, a negative calorie balance. You're literally your whole tribe would starve to death. It was literally impossible before. Modern society and refrigeration and, and cargo ships, it would be biologically impossible for you and your family to live on a vegan diet. It was just not something that would be you couldn't do it by the just physics and biology. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would also say that pure veganism, you're on some sort of supplement. hundred percent of the time. Well, if we yeah. go back to before there was a CVS or an Albertsons with a supplement aisle. You ain't doing it. 100%. Absolutely accurate. You might do it for a few weeks. And yeah. that's what tricks a lot of people. They are eating standard American Twinkies, ding dongs, donuts, Doritos, Pepsi, and they go vegan. All of a sudden, they feel better. Yes. Sure, they sure feel better because you've eliminated all of this inflammatory shit and you're just eating vegetables. But the problem comes is in a few months or a few years when you start to develop vitamin and mineral deficiencies. Correct. And uh, omega 3 fatty acid deficiencies. That's when the problem comes, and hopefully by then they've done enough reading and research to realize, oh, vegan's a good first step, but I need to go further, and that's when they discover a proper human diet. Just, just read Lear Keith's stuff, if you want oh, to understand, the, I mean, just, I mean, she's a hero to me because she was to and tell the truth. Yeah, I'm going to interview her on the channel coming up in a few months. She's a great interview um let's throw some stuff in you can add first of all we already hit this but no snacking like that's one thing you can do so easy you're not a five-year-old in kindergarten and i know you said kids don't need a snack i'm trying to make a point to people just I like got it. yeah no but you, told, you said it was 16 year olds that drink beer right if you're going to have a drink have a gin and tonic right don't right. You know. <laughs> yeah. nobody needs to snack now if you're currently injecting insulin and you're taking six diabetic medications yeah as you lower your your daily carbohydrate intake You may need to snack from time to time until you're off the insulin and off most of the medications. But just a human on no medication, nobody needs a snack ever, ever. If you're eating a snack, it's a sign of either boredom or ignorance or immaturity. The end. And I'll also tell you, if you do something like fry up a bunch of bacon, keep it in your refrigerator when you want a snack, say, well, I can have a piece of bacon. When you think I don't want a piece of bacon, you're not hungry. That's right. If you're actually hungry, you will eat the shit out of that bacon. Every time. Isn't it it funny how you get people at a restaurant, they pig out. You want anything else? No, I can't eat nothing. Waiter brings a cake over. Dessert tray. All of a sudden, people have room. That that is a carbohydrate addiction thing. That is not hunger. Because you just said, hey, would you like another lobster? Oh, no, I'm freaking too full for that. But you can eat Cheesecake. There's a biochemical and an emotional and a mental thing going on in all of those. And we can't have this discussion unless we keep coming back to that because people need to understand if I'm counseling you to get off alcohol at 12 step, I'm going to talk about the mental as much as the physical, because if I don't, you're going to fall out and you're not going to recover and you're not going to kick the addiction. This is an addiction. Like Ken said, it's not your fault, but it's your problem. And I'll say it's your responsibility now that you know. Um, T-MAD and OMAD, I think both of those can go in any of these diets. For people not familiar with the acronyms, two meals a day or one meal a day. I am going to say nine days out of ten, I'm on a two-meal-a-day eating regime. I do not hold myself to it. If I wake up this morning and, like, I'm getting ready to do my show and I'm like, you know, I could eat, I'll go grab a couple of duck eggs and I'll throw them in a the pan and throw some bacon grease on them. But that just doesn't happen very often anymore. Right. But if you're on a a three-meal-a-day thing and you're on any of these levels and you've plateaued, it's amazing what happens when you go to two meals a day and stick them as close together as you can and make that window on the outside as big as you can. Absolutely. And what many people find is when they start to eat enough healthy animal protein and healthy animal fats, they just almost unconsciously stop snacking and go to two meals a day. And then some days it'll just be one meal because when you're eating so much healthy animal fat and a healthy animal protein, you are satiated much more so than if you're still eating the majority of your calories in the form of carbohydrates, which are the least satiating of all the carbs. That's why when you go to the Chinese restaurant and you eat until you literally feel like you're going to burst, you literally feel like your stomach's going to explode. Two hours later, you're hungry. <laughs> Two yeah. hours, if that, right? And that's yeah. because what you ate was 90% carbohydrates and they're gone. Your insulin spiked then your insulin plummeted. Now you're hungry again because you didn't eat any real food. I'll do you even one up on that. If you go out and you you pig out, like you find an all you can eat seafood bar and they exist. Yeah. They're rare because when somebody like me gets on one, you're going to wish you didn't do that. Yeah. Um, but you're eating all fish and all. you leave the drawn butter out of that and you've eaten almost 100% protein. And your blood sugar doesn't go nowhere. But you know what happens? You do get hungry. You you can eat in two hours. Like if you go to the sushi place and you leave the rolls alone and you're all sashimi, you're still at a point where you're like, yeah, I, I could eat now. And so that fat, you only get so much belly belly tuna and belly salmon out of that, and you're going to want to eat more. So that's something people need to realize. If you're not bringing – that's why we're so big on bringing the fat to the table. But if you can go two meal a day, one meal a day – And you don't have to, like, commit to nothing but that. Do two meals a day, three days a week. Do it two days a week. Do one meal a day, one day a week. Do one meal a day, one day a freaking every two weeks. Give it a shot. And you start to move then into the world of fasting. And so you're getting in. Like If you're doing two meal a day in an eight-hour window, you are fasting 16 hours without even thinking about it. Yep. And then if you can bump that up, to where you're eating your two meals in a six hour feasting window and fasting for 18 hours a day. Wow. For me personally, that's the sweet spot where I can, I mean, my, my weight goes right where I want it. All of my blood markers go right where I want them effortlessly. And then, like I said earlier, I'm just not hungry until my six hour feasting window gets here anyway. So it's easy. But if you're, if anybody watching this, if you're not eating enough fats. And you're not eating enough protein, you're sitting there going, I don't know how the hell these guys, I mean, I've got to eat mm-hmm. the minute I wake up, and then I gotta have a snack and then lunch and then a snack and then dinner and then a snack. Yeah. And maybe then a you know, second supper before I go to bed, it's because you're not eating enough healthy animal fat in your diet. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And i just wanna hit this real quick so we don't have to come back to it. Steven says government cockroaches around the world like to poison the population, they killed my parents. I'm sorry to hear that, but I'll also, I'm going to sound like I'm advocating for government here, but I'm not. I'm going to tell you there's different motivations from different groups. I think big food and big pharma want you sick. I have no doubt about that. Government, I think, doesn't care if you're sick. What they don't want is you to get pissed off, go into the Capitol building and start hanging politicians and bureaucrats by their feet, upside down naked and dying from, from lampposts. Historically, people will tolerate a lot of bad things without rebelling against their government, inflation, all kinds of horrible atrocities. When people don't eat, there is a long history of politicians swinging when people are hungry. So if they can figure out how to keep you from starving and it means they're poisoning you, they'll take that approach as a self-preservation. And I think the state is more motivated for self-preservation like an organism than they are we want you sick and dead. I think the lobbyists want you sick and dying. Yeah, and if the if the food is the slow poison, and that's what I don't think they wouldn't tolerate if there was strychnine in the food supply. They no. would crack down on that immediately. People would go to prison. But if the food takes 20, 30, 40 years to make you fat, to make you sick, and then ultimately to kill you and you die 20 years before your lifespan would have said you need to die, Nobody's going to get sued over that. Nobody's no. going to go to prison over that. Everybody And everybody at every stage of that is going to make a profit. Big food initially, yeah. then the big farmer on the back end, and DeVita with their dialysis, everybody's making a profit. Therefore, all the big corporations are going to be paying lots of lobbyists to take lots of congressmen and senators to $500 a plate lunches and dinners. And, and nobody's getting sued and nobody's getting strung up by their heels. That's a self-perpetuating system until enough people in the general population wake up and go, what the hell? And yeah. when enough people wake up and start to stand up and speak up, that'll that'll shut that down as well. But right now, so many people don't even realize there's a problem that everybody's making out like a bandit. Everybody's protected. All the bean counters are happy. The lawyers are happy. The accountants are happy. But the average person sitting here at home watching this, they're the ones who either their health personally is suffering or the health of someone they love very, very much is suffering. And they're watching them slowly wither, slowly become disabled, slowly die. And they're like, I don't even know where to begin. Well, Well, we've been convinced it's just that's what happens when you get old. That's right. I'm just getting older. No, yeah. that's not what it is. Yep. Even doctors tell you that. Well, you're getting older. You get. Don't worry about it. You're getting older. Don't worry about my kidneys going to stage two kidney disease because right. I'm getting older. Yeah. Well, most people have that. Well, maybe most people freaking shouldn't have that. And no. on that note, kind of my next like addition thing that you can do in any of these diets is either completely eliminate. And many people need to completely eliminate this. Or at least reduce it to like something you do once a week. And that's alcohol. And and I would say alcohol is definitely metabolized differently than any of your you know protein, fat, carbohydrate, your macros. For the purpose of this, if you're not going to do what I just said, then you should look at your calories from alcohol as though they are calories from carbohydrates. That's the best advice I can give you without being draconian. And, and as, listen, much, me, as much uh, as i have drunk me, in my past, I'm not going to sit up here and be sanctimonious about well, it. Well, I was just going to say, let me give you guys the, the, the fact that Jack Spierko is saying this. Jack loves alcohol. I do. He loves making it. I've never known a human who can make alcohol from. I think you could give him a sack of chicken shit and he can make alcohol out. of. It. I've never seen anything like it. He can make alcohol out of anything. And he loves to make alcohol. And he loves to drink alcohol. So the very fact that Jack Spearco is telling you, hey, dummy, you need to cut back on the alcohol. Yeah. It's poison. Sure. That's a big damn deal. Yep. I've I pretty much, other than workshops and stuff, um, gone to where I drink maybe once a week. And, yeah. and sometimes I go three four weeks without a drink. I know people have a hard time believing that if you've seen me in a party situation. But there's party and there's the real world. And right. we're going to talk about that, too, here in a second. But definitely cutting that back. And I tried to make this work. And when I went and looked at the metabolic means by which your liver breaks down alcohol, then I realized something that basically it goes to the front of the line because it's a poison. So yep. whatever else you've done to jack your blood sugar up stays that way until your liver clears the alcohol. So if you want to kill yourself as quickly as possible, drink Cosmopolitans, drink vodka and cranberry juice, drink Screwdriver's. Put alcohol and sugar together. If you want to yep. die, if you want to just donkey kick your liver every time you take a sip, lots of sugar, and, and think about what do people drink? They drink all these simple syrup-based things, and yep. you talk about, again, I know I sound like a party pooper here, but it's well, the, I mean it's that, Jack, and Coke, Jack and Coke, man. You got yeah. the alcohol. You got the high fructose corn syrup. That's the, a literal death sentence to your liver, decades before your liver would have worn out. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And it's hard for people to understand that because we've been taught otherwise, but it's, it just is. Next up is straight up fasting. One to four days more if you want (laughs) to. And I'll tell you that I've never really done more than 24 hours of fasting, but I've seen the benefits of that. Uh, You were talking earlier about getting that that window down, even in like the one meal a day down to six hours. When we start fasting, whether it's intermittent or straight up fasting, we get into something called autophagy. You want to explain to people what that is, because it might be the thing that you should learn in seventh grade biology that I'll never teach you. Yeah. So if Jack and I were stuck in our house in the middle of a, a, a Tennessee winter, had a fireplace and then outside I had a couple of stacks of of wood and it got 20 below zero and Jack's like, dude, I'm freezing, build a fire. What would I start doing? Would I take an an ax and start chopping up the living room furniture and burning that? Or would I go get some of the wood that I'd stacked up for that very purpose and start doing that, right? Your body is not an idiot. Your body and your DNA are brilliant, very ancient, very wise, When you fast, when you don't eat, your body starts to grab older cells and older mitochondria, damaged cells, damaged mitochondria, senescent cells, and your body starts to grab those and recycle those. It's not going to smash up and burn the the beautiful armoire. It's going to get the the trash. We're going to burn the trash. We're going to burn the wood. We're going to burn the kin. We're going to burn all the stuff that doesn't really matter first. That's what your body does when you're not eating. And so autophagy is the process by which your body starts grabbing old and damaged cells and breaking them apart and using those parts to build new cells. You also do that with your mitochondria, the little energy powerhouses. You start doing that same thing, and it looks like the rate of that starts to really ramp up at about a 16 or an 18-hour fast. And that's why I think that 18-hour number is really magical for a lot of people, Uh, people who haven't seen me for, for five or 10 years when they, they're like, dude, like people I graduated high school with, they're like, you've had plastic surgery. You've had Mm -hmm. this, there's something, I don't know. And I'm like, no, dude, I just, I fast for 18 hours a day. And when I do eat, I eat animal fat and animal protein. That's literally my life. There's nothing special. There's no Botox. There's no plastic surgery. There's nothing. And I'm not trying to say I'm some kind of great God. I'm trying to say when you put me up against the, the, my 20 other guys who graduated high school with me, I stand out. And it's Thanks. not because I'm special. It's because of my, what I eat and also when I eat. And so a lot of people think, well, it's too late for me. No, Bubba. No. You start eating two meals a day in a six hour window full of predominantly animal fat and animal protein and you fast for 18 hours a day, eat, eat as much as you want during those two meals. I don't think you have to portion control at all if you're carnivore. Eat until you cannot eat another bite. Two meals a day in a six-hour window, and then fast for 18 hours a day. Take a picture now, and then start taking a monthly picture in your jolly yeah. You And don't post them, please. We don't want to see that. But you save them on your phone. And then you look from month to month to month. It will literally look like you're aging in reverse. Yes. Because of the autophagy and the mitophagy. You're not aging in reverse. You're just going back to what somebody your age should look like and would look like if they've been eating a proper human diet all along. Agreed. And I think that, like, the closer you push that two-meal-a-day window, the closer you are to one meal a day. Yep. Right. I, I can eat for a. Two to three hours if I really, really wanted to. And I spaced it out, you know, as on how much I eat per helping. I think one of the things that's always made my life a little harder, too, and why I've had to get regimented with this is I was in the Army. You learn to eat fast. Yeah. Like I always be you you cooked. You should sit and eat first. No, no. Because if I sit down to eat while y'all are still screwing around getting your shit, I'll be done before your ass hits the chair. I always go last for that reason when we have people over to eat because I'm going to eat quick. And that's something if you if you have that for whatever reason you have it, because you grew up with brothers that would steal your food. You're in the military, whatever. Like, and that's bad for drinking, too, man, because they, they put booze in your hand at 17 in the army. And and you they also teach you how to down a quart of a quart canteen of water while you're running in three seconds. So that's all bad. And keep that in <laughs> mind if you have that in common. Um, exercise. I think everybody should do this in some way. There needs to be some exercise and lifting weights is a huge thing as far as especially, I think men and women, both, we need the muscle mass. Uh, I like hitting a heavy bag. I think that really works all the muscle, but something that causes physical endurance. And then some, like, I think it shouldn't be just one or the other though, whether it's running, walking, hiking, something that causes cardiovascular conditioning, because this is how our ancestors were. Yeah, they laid around the fire all the time and shit, but then they had to go do stuff. Well, they didn't get there in a car or a moving walkway or an escalator. They had to physically move the damn body. Absolutely. Exercise is vital. Exercise is good for you in hundreds of ways. But a lot of people in the, in the keto community, they heard me say a few years back, uh, exercise is a terrible way to lose weight. And that's absolutely true. The research is very clear about that thinking you're going to join the gym to lose weight. You are wasting your money. Now I didn't say, I don't want you to join the gym. I just said, I want you to get, I want you to exercise, but that's not a way to lose weight. That's never going to work. When you start at working out, exercising heavily, you stimulate your appetite. You're actually hungrier more often and you eat more. So forget about that. Exercise is not going to help you lose weight. Although every gym in America, as January one's coming up, they're going to be advertising and trying to hit that pain point. Oh, you want to lose weight Join the gym? That's bullshit. That's not how you lose weight. You lose weight by cutting the carbohydrates drastically. And cutting down your eating window to a, to a sustainable, whether it's six hours, eight hours, even even 10 hours. I don't care. You can do a 10 hour eating window and it with a, with a, uh, uh, a 14 hour fast. Perfect. Yes. Great place to start. Yep. But exercise is not going to help you lose weight, but Jack's exactly right. If you want to be healthy and vigorous and a little bit dangerous, you need to be doing some kind of weight resistance exercise and some kind of endurance exercise. And for many people who have been sedentary for decades and the couch has been the only thing in their house they pay attention to, it's going to take a minute for you to get back into that and Jack and I don't want you to overdo it too too much too quick, but you need to get your ass up and start doing some kind of movements that is going to make you healthier. But it's and not I gonna think help it's as much mental health as physical health. And here's what well, this makes me think of this fall. I was there spring, whatever it was. I don't know. I was at John Willis's place. And there was a guy asking about trying to get out of his head and being depressed and all. And he actually had a pretty good life, but yet he was dealing with depression. And John said, when you on your seventh rep of something you can only do 10 of, whatever you're depressed about, you won't be thinking about that. 100%. And I think there's something to that. I mean, when I'm working a heavy bag and I set the timer wrong and I'm supposed to be doing a two minute round and it ends up being a four minute round. By the time I'm done with that one, I think I'm going to die. I'm not worried about any of my problems. Nope. And I think having that mental reset is, 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 is is huge. And so other things play into that we'll talk about next, but I think that we need that. We're supposed to, we're supposed to play as humans and good exercise is just a form of play. Absolutely. Yeah. So on that, my last one in this of these add ons is meditation. And what I have in my notes is you do not have to contemplate your navel to be meditating. When I am standing waist deep in the ocean and a, a an eight pound redfish picks up a little crab and takes off and I got one little six pound line connecting me to that redfish, I am in a state of meditation yep. at that point. So whatever it is for you, when I am in a tree stand that is, you know, a couple square foot in size well, up there with a bow and I'm sitting completely motionless waiting for a deer for six hours without moving, I'm in a state of meditation. So whatever that means to you, I think there's a place for contemplation and, and, and tuning out the bullshit and focusing on something, yeah. whether it's your breath or was that movement, a, a deer's ear or was it a squirrel? Like no matter what it is, when you get focused on something outside of this artificial world, this bubble we live in, that mentally your health will improve and thereby physically your health will improve. Cause I've also heard this can, when I get my mental state, right, then I'm going to diet. Uh, That's the backwards. That's like saying, well, I don't get drunk anymore. I'm going to go and join Alcoholics Anonymous. Like, you you know, you got to fix the underlying issue. And for many of us, it is mental. Yep. And let let me say this. and Let me be very clear about this. And I think Jack will agree. Jack actually structured this entire thing, starting with the most important first. And so did I. And I always have to say this now because I kept seeing these people that love to to get a major in the minors. They love to just get into the minutiae. And they're like, oh, meditation. Yes. Okay. And ignore all the other shit we've been talking about for an hour and a half and think that, okay, their take home message today would have been, okay, exercise and meditation. Got it. No. No. No, go no. back to the beginning and watch it again the first shit we talked about that's the most important shit we don't I don't if you don't exercise or meditate for the first three months you're on this journey don't care I don't care I don't think't care cares. at all we want you to do number one number two number three first they are yes. the most important that's gonna give you a purge minutes. the poison from your life get the poison out of your body yes. first yes. Then after you've done that, then we'll talk about exercise and meditation. And I think meditation, I love your definition. For me, currently meditating is carrying a very cumbersome, huge double arm load of hay that I'm scattering all over the 40 acres here of the farm, walking blind through a pasture (laughs) that is completely uneven. You never know if there's going to be a hole or a divot or a tree root or a stump and literally having to focus all of my energy and my mental focus on not busting my ass until I get where I'm going. (laughs) That's meditation. I totally agree with that. Yeah. I almost meditated myself into needing a new iPhone yesterday. I was flame weeding and it bailed out of my pocket and I, I I almost burned it (laughs) to oblivion because I was in that, transcendental state of I'm doing this thing and nothing else matters and I don't yep. want to set my raised beds on fire yep so for me it's it's farm work that's my meditation yeah for some people it's it's building miniatures for some people it's uh activities in the bedroom I don't think it matters as long as you're just focused on one thing and your correct. full focus focuses on that that's meditation and that that you know laying on the couch watching TV no I'm sorry Bubba, that that's not meditation. No, that's not, not meditation. That. That's tuning out versus yeah. tuning in. We're talking about tuning in to something higher than yourself, and, and and or to your highest self might be another way to look at, or yes. to your higher self if you're not quite ready for highest self. Um, I also want to say a little bit about some flexibility here. If you fall back to a lower level on this, it's it's not the end of the world. Like if I told you, Ken, I'm going to be keto one day a month. You say, well, that's not going to do jack shit for you because it won't. Because what you do one day a month, unless it leads to something more, is not going to change your life. Like if I'm going to eat garbage 29 days a month and eat good food one day a month. So if I occasionally eat something off my regiment one day a month, my life's not going to go into a total train wreck. be better if I didn't, but... The, I think what's worse than doing it is then beating yourself up about it and having some kind of hard feelings about it. So, just going, tomorrow I'm going to go back to doing what I know to do. Yeah. And, and so, if you think about the modern supermarket diet, if you think of the majority of that stuff as slow poison, that helps you understand. Just like we talked about alcohol, alcohol is poison, period. You're, there's no, you cannot argue around that. I don't care if you say, oh, no, I, I, I make this pure grain whiskey in my own bar. I don't care. Oh, Still, this is red wine. They said it. No, shut up. No. <laughs> I'll call it poison the end. Okay? The yeah. dose makes the poison. The same goes for the, the supermarket foods. Yeah. If, and so to the degree with which you minimize all the things in Jack's number one thing he talked about, or my number one, two, and three, you're eliminating slow poisons from your diet. So if you said, well, if I just started doing keto one meal a day, would that help me? I would say, yeah, that's going to you're going to be ingesting less slow poison. That's going to help a little with your inflammation and with your blood sugar and with your insulin levels. Yes. If you have the intentions of slowly increasing that, then I'm 100 percent for that. If you say, look, I'm going to do keto six days out of the week. but on on Saturday, I'm going to eat whatever I want. I would say 100 percent do that. Yes, yeah. That's a great yeah. place to start. Yeah. Because, and because then, like Jack said earlier, you're going to have this elimination type diet happening. And then when you do have your fun on Saturday, Sunday like morning dog Sunday, it on Sunday, you're going to think about right? it. Just <laughs> like when you, when you used to be a, a knuckleheaded teenager or 20 something and you partied on Saturday night and had to drag your ass to church on Sunday. After so many years of that, you're like, you know, that's dumb. I should stop doing that. Yeah. And you you know, wake up every morning going, I'm never doing that again. One day you actually mean it. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So the degree to which you eliminate the highly processed, high carb, inflammatory crap, yeah, and start eating a proper human diet full of healthy animal fat and protein, your health is going to improve to that degree. And so I, I some people are teetotalers, Jack. They just gotta say, Okay, Monday I'm going carnivore, that's it. Yep. Some people that's their style. That's how they have to do it. Other people are moderators. Yep. And they're like, God, I can't I can't do that. I'm gonna slowly start to convert. Yes, one hundred percent. Yes, yes, yes. Do that if that's your style. And and that's the whole purpose of this today, because I know when I talk about keto, carnivore, et cetera, I get 75% of my audience that won't even take step one. And I don't want that. And if you only come halfway, you only come halfway. I don't I don't run your life. I don't get to, to tell you anything about how to live. I just tell you how I live and give you advice. And then you choose what you do and how you design your life. Absolutely. But I think that as you do, if you do start to say, well, I went all the way to straight up keto, 20 carbs a day or less, and I'm going to kind of go back into more like a 50 carb thing and keep all my diet clean off. At that point, you should keep an eye on your weight. You should keep an eye on your markers, but above all, you should keep an eye on on how you feel so you don't become accustomed to these aches and pains again, because again, if you do something long enough, you adapt to it and you just think that's the way it is. And my body's supposed to feel like this and it's not. So if you start having some aches, pains, and some things like that, like you didn't fall off a tree, right? And hit the ground. And that's why your face hurts. Your back starts hurting and you didn't really do anything different than normal. Look at what you've been doing as far as food you've been eating, and maybe your carbs are where they need to be for whatever it is for you, but you've started eating something or consuming something that you have that inflammatory response, like you were talking about Nisha, like basically greens can't have it. Like pay attention to that and listen to your body. Yep, absolutely. Um, Next, I would say also – have your labs done, especially if you're going to start doing this and confer with a doctor that's not an idiot. And that might be a little harder than it sounds, because doctors are smart because you don't get through medical school if you're stupid. But you can get through medical school and be educated into idiocy. And, yep. and most doctors are. That's why you have a book called Lies My Doctor Told Me, because they believe their own bullshit, because they've been conditioned. They've been trained like there's teaching and there's training. And most of what happens in the establishment today is not teaching. Which is enabling education. It's training, which is to yep. condition an organism till it cannot perform any differently than you want it to. My dog yep. is trained. When I say house, the dog goes in the house. I can train a slime mold. I can yep. train a grapevine, yep. but I can't teach a grapevine. Humans need to be educated, not trained. There's a place for training. If you're doing a surgery, Ken, then there's certain procedures you should follow so you don't kill that person. So I exactly. get that part. But when exactly. it comes to nutrition, this should be an educational paradigm versus a trained paradigm. And so you got to find the right doctor. And I think one of the things you'd agree with is, especially if you're on a bunch of meds. Because we have people, if you ain't monitoring your blood pressure and you're on, like, beta blockers and shit, all of a sudden your blood pressure goes to normal and you're taking a beta blocker, people start standing up and getting dizzy. I know that, like, that ha- I wasn't on blood meds, but still that happened to me because my blood pressure dropped so much I wasn't used to it. Absolutely. And having a low blood pressure is a very healthy thing. But if you've been if your body's used to you having a high blood pressure and you're taking three blood pressure medications, then you go super low carb, super quick and your blood pressure starts to return to normal because it is going to come down with the proper human diet. And you're still taking those three meds. You can get in trouble. You can pass out. You can hit your head. You can, uh, you know, have a have a concussion. So I find a doctor who at least understands paleo, (laughs) low carb, primal, because most docs are like, yeah, I've heard of that. And also keep in mind, you don't have to tell the doctor that you're eating keto or carnivore. Just tell them you've eliminated all the processed food from your diet. You're eating only real whole food because that's the truth, right? And so they're going to be like, oh, great. I love that. That's good. And so now you don't have to have the keto or carnivore discussion. But at the same time, you've got a doctor who's on board. Lily, shut up. Okay. <laughs> but, and when it comes to the labs, I don't know if you know about this, Jack, but I've actually got a book called Common Sense Labs that I wrote that goes over all the labs. yeah. Why do you want them? What the normal range should be? And also what to say to your perhaps ignorant doctor who doesn't know that you need those labs. Like the fasting insulin. Many docs will say, you don't need that. I'm not going to order that. But I've got a paragraph in here. And also the diagnosis codes that you can give your doctor and say, yes, dummy, here's why I need a fasting insulin. Here's the codes to put in to get it, get my insurance to pay for it. That kind of stuff for some people is invaluable because their doctors never thought about this because they were trained and indoctrinated, not taught. And I'm going to the last thing that I have here before we wrap up with final thoughts is I get going to the families for the holidays and eating a piece of cake. I I totally get that. You have to, though, especially as a recovering carbohydrate addict, you got to treat things like a bar room, and sometimes you just don't go, especially maybe early on when you're just adapting to this, because it's amazing how many special events there are if you let everything be. Well, it's Johnny's birthday. You have to have a piece of cake. No, you don't. No, you don't. Like, you don't have to do it every single time because you start seeing, like, Well, every time there's a little league game, like you said, they pass the kids out snacks after the game. And, you know, there's this and that. And so you really, I feel, if you come out of the standard diet, you have to treat yourself like an addict because I I really believe that you are. And if you're going to let yourself have this shit every time you go anywhere, somebody else is doing it. You're an alcoholic hanging out daily in a bar. Absolutely. And this uh, this really matters for some people much more than it does for others. Some people were just thoughtlessly eating a crap diet. Some people are truly, truly carb and sugar addicts and Mm -hmm. they have to treat this like an addiction. Not everybody does. I don't think but some people do. And if you're one of those people, you need to look in the mirror and say, look, dude, I love you. But you're a sugar addict. You're a sugarholic. You're a carb addict it's not okay for you to have a big piece of birthday cake at a birthday party. It's not okay. And so what I would encourage people like that to do is, first of all, be self-aware. Secondly, admit it and forgive yourself. It's okay. It's not your fault, but it is your problem. And then third is to tell everybody in your family and your your circle of friends, I'm a sugar addict, dude. Just like you wouldn't offer me a, a vodka soda if I were an alcoholic, do not offer me. Yeah. Cookies and pies. Please. I'm a sugar addict. It is causing medical disease. Yeah. Please recognize that. And a lot of people just do the diet thing on their own. They don't think to include their family and their friends. But if you know you're a sugar addict, you got to tell the people who care about you and then they'll actually help protect you. Yeah. You got to tell. Yeah. Yeah. I had a friend that that hated cream and he finally just started telling people he was allergic to it, even though he wasn't like something to to keep. Keep the dealer at bay. Um, yep. Let's go lightning round on these questions. There's quite a few of them. And I know I've kept you a long time. Tom says, will diet cause or have an effect on long QT syndrome? Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, and so uh, eating the wrong diet can absolutely lengthen your QT uh, interval on your EKG. A lot of people don't realize this. Most heart specialists don't realize that your diet can have an effect on that. But it absolutely can. And for anybody with long QT syndrome, (laughs) you absolutely need to be eating a proper human diet. Okay. Diane. Diana says I stalled on carnivores while I had added a little carb then instantly started dropping fat. I wonder why. Yeah. So two things could be a play here, Diana. Number one, this may have just been the, the the jigger that you needed to throw into the mix to unstick your stall. Sometimes that's all it is. But I think there are some people who carnivore is not the best option for them. They should eat maybe low carb, maybe keto, maybe ketovore. And yeah. that's the sweet spot for you, your DNA, your 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 biodiversity, your gut microbiome. Your ancestry, all that stuff, I think, matters at least a little bit, maybe a lot of it in some people. But I think some people, the perfect spot on the proper human diet spectrum is keto uh, with 50 total grams of carbs a day. Other people, it's it's not. And so uh, regardless of why, I'm just glad that you're doing these N equals one experiments with yourself and you figured this out. Now, does that mean you need to stay w- with the carbs added forever? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know, but you're going to pay attention to how you feel, your body's feedback, and you'll be able to tweak this into the future. So Matt says, I'm a truck driver. I'm out three to four nights at a time. Current truck has no room for a fridge. I intend to change that in six months. Any recommendations? I'll throw some stuff in that. Number one, cooked meat lasts for a couple days. Unless you're, like, throwing it in the sun, it'll be okay in an air-conditioned cab of a truck. Number two, maybe you can't uh, fit a full size refrigerator on a sleeper car or whatever in your truck, but I damn well know you can fit a cooler in there. So get yeah. a badgong cooler, cook a bunch of meat up and throw it in there. Next. If you're not ready to go full on, like grass fed and stuff like that, every damn place that you stop with the truck to eat, you can get a burger without the bun. Absolutely. You go to a steakhouse, you get a steak. Would you like a potato with that? No. Yeah. Well, here's the bread. Please take, and uh, You go to a restaurant where they put bread or chips on the table immediately. Please take that away. Yep. Don't be rude about it, but just I I can't have that. Please take that away or I'm going to eat it. Like there are ways to do this. I've always found that to be a little bit limited. You know, there's a whole movement on Twitter and uh, an Oscar called Pocket Steak. People make a steak, throw it in a Ziploc bag, shove it in their pocket. That's their lunch that day. Absolutely. I totally agree with Jack. You've got room for an Igloo cooler. Fill it up with boiled eggs, bacon, and hamburger patties that you can literally put in the average size Igloo cooler. You can put a week worth of food, and it's going to stay fine and edible. Secondly, uh, truck stop food. I've actually spoken at at trucker conferences about the proper human diet. And invariably, they're like, you don't understand, dude, truck stop food. And I'm like, yeah, I do understand. I live on an inter- interstate exit. We went, used to go to the, the 126, and, and we would eat at the truck stop for Sunday dinner. I know exactly about truck drive, tr- truck stop food. It's not the truck stop food. It's your choices at the truck stop. Yes. That's the difference, okay? I can go to the truck stop, and I can eat 100% carnivore. That's not going to be grass finished and panda massage, but I guarantee you I can eat, I can eat carnivore at this truck stop right up the road. I'll eat all the hot dogs and the hamburger patties. If I, if it comes down to it, I'll eat the pepperoni and the cheese off the top of the pizza and leave the crust. I can eat carnivore or keto at a truck stop. It's all about the choices you make and having enough wisdom to know that those choices actually matter. Uh, I've had a ton of of truck drivers and other over-the-road guys who have lost a ton of weight in reverse type 2 diabetes by living on bologna and hot dogs and hamburger patties and spam. Literally, that's what they live on. They haven't developed any vitamin or mineral deficiencies. They lost so much weight, they had to buy new clothes, and they were able to stop multiple medications for type 2 diabetes and high blood pressure because they didn't need them anymore. Eating bologna, cheap bologna, Cheap hot dogs, cheap ground beef, and spam out of the can. So don't tell me, oh, it's a truck stop. No, dude, I eat at truck stops. I know yeah. what the food is at. you got to make the right choice. Bring me a steak and a side salad without the dressing on it. And the dressing is the juice from the steak on the salad if you're, yeah. if you're keto instead of carnivore. right? That would be one example. Uh, there, another thing you can travel with is, any, like you mentioned, spam. So anything canned. Uh, sardines, mackerel, stuff like that. Most get the stuff that's not soybean. No seed oils. The right. seed oil is. I want everybody listening to this from now on. When you hear seed oil, hear poison, industrial toxin. That's what it is. Go look. I, I had a documentary I shared over the weekend on how seed oils are made. I'll find it. I'll add it to the show notes along with a link for Ken's book on labs and Ken's book on the doctor lies. I'll add that all to the show notes. In the video below, you should see a link where the audio of this will be when we're done in a few minutes here. It'll be about 30 minutes after we're done. I'll get that up. Every resource we talked about, I'll make sure is there. Um, next question. Can you please tell me the best way to get my wife on a proper human diet? Man, if I knew how to tell women what to do and get them to do it, I would be doing something other than I'd be rich beyond rich. Yeah, Jeremy, um, I feel like you're a little behind in the common sense department if you think you're going to be able to get your wife to do anything you're going to you're going to you're going to lead by example there it is you're going to fix your own metabolic health you're going to fix your own waistline you're going to fix your own mental health by eating a proper human diet and living a proper human life which is some of the things jack got to later on down in the hierarchy and you're going to let her see that change in you you're going to let her see the twinkle in your eye and how flat your belly is and how Things are working like they haven't worked in a few years, and she's gonna not only because number one, for some women, jealousy's a big motivator. Yeah. And when you see some chick at the gas station come up to ask you for directions, yeah, she's gonna and be like, "Oh, what's going on here? Where did my chubby little teddy bear go? Yeah. Why does this woman ask you? She don't she she don't know how to use Google Maps? Why is yeah. she asking me for directions? Yeah. yeah. Hey, I don't know. I don't know what's going to work for you in your house, Jeremy, but I do know that if you fix your shit, she's going to be paying attention to that. I will give you a way. It may be too late because he's already on the journey, maybe more than I don't know how far, but in the very beginning, I'll give you a way, guys, that will make it very, and women, they'll still work the other direction. Very hard for that person to say no, assuming that you're in a, a loving relationship. Honey, I need to do this for me. And it would be really helpful if you would do it with me for the first month so that I'm not tempted. Good. And then shut okay. the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> <you've seen> that. <laughs> that's, 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 well, that's doable. That's very – I like that, Jack. That's and that's good. that's what we used to call in sales, like close. You have closed. And when you close, oh. if you open your mouth before the person on the other side opens their mouth, you lose. You give a number in a negotiation, you shut up. You ask for something that – and me – don't do it gimmicky. I didn't give you a gimmick. Mean it when you say it and shut up and yep. listen. Yep. That's beautiful. Like because you've got a built in time period there where she's like, Well, I can I mean, I kind of like this guy. I'm married to him. Yeah. It's only thirty days. Okay, yeah, I'll do that. Just till I'm strong enough to watch you eat your stuff. Yeah, that's great. We do that for thirty days. Can we get rid of all the poisons? And you can on, on day thirty one, you can go get anything you want. Odds are she ain't going back or he ain't going back. Whoever goes first. Yep. And, Cause I will tell you, Darth and I did this together and it is so much easier. Oh, it is, it is right. so much easier. You know, uh, Carolyn says, what about microbiome of the gut and high fire? Yep. <laughs> you know, yep. Why I'm laughing. This is important for health. Uh, so for many, uh, say it's, it's essential. I totally agree the microbiome of your stomach is and your contestants is incredibly important. I just don't think fiber has jack crap to do with it. No, Carolyn, I can tell you from firsthand experience, I have sent off my own stool samples and I have looked at the stool sample results from hundreds of people who are eating a carnivore diet, which means zero fiber. And have been eating a carnivore diet in some in some cases for 10 to 20 years. Have not had one gram of fiber in over a decade. Okay, because and I'm I'm taking the time to answer this because a lot of people totally believe that fiber is essential. They totally believe you'll get colon cancer within a week or two if you if you don't eat fiber. Right? It's not true. The gut microbiome diversity, the biodiversity of a carnivore's gut microbiome, is more diverse than someone who's eating the standard American diet, okay? It actually becomes more diverse, and there's a lot about the gut microbiome that we don't know yet. A lot of people act like we know a lot about it. If anybody says, oh, send me a poop sample, and I'll tell you exactly what to eat, they're full of shit. Now, and I'll tell you, nowhere near being able to do that yet. That's 20 years from now. Maybe we'll be able to do that, but not now. You don't need fiber for a healthy gut, you don't need fiber for a healthy gut microbiome. It's a it's a myth. It's a lie. First thing, if you have problems with your colon, the first thing I do is cut the, the the fiber out of it because it works colon so hard. So think about that. Right. I, I'll also say another thing. We've done experiments, and this has been done on humans. It's been done on mice. It's been on done on soil microbiomes. Like you can't. It's everywhere the world is. If you destroy the microbiome. The only way to fix it is to reintroduce the microbes, changing the nutrient supply won't reintroduce it. So, for instance, in my research on soil science, uh, Dr. Steven Johnson, who created the bioreactors that I teach now, looked at mice where they took and they destroyed the microbiome in the, the, the mice by changing. their. They did it through diet and multi-generations. When they put the diet back to where it should be for a mouse, the microbiome never came back. That's why we have these fecal matter matter transport plants for people that have completely nuked their biome. So you're not getting a diverse microbiome in your stomach and in your intestines because you eat fiber. That's not how that happens. You literally receive your microbiome from your parents. And that's where I think we're getting into some really dangerous territory. We don't even know the results until, like, my grandkids are my age. Then we're going to know how much damage we've done. Oh, 100%. And I, I think Jack's implication is exactly right. I think that there, there's, there's generational damage done by eating the standard American diets, and not uh, epigenetic damage and microbiome damage. I think as more research, actual meaningful, useful research is done about this, we're going to see that for some people, it's going to take two generations to get back to that ideal human bioform and, and and mental and physical health. Everybody can improve their health to a certain degree by eating a proper human diet, 100%. But I think in order to get back to the tall, lean, just effortlessly healthy, it's. It, I, think I think the big food companies have done generational damage to the human species. I think that's exactly right. And I think eventually there will be huge billion dollar lawsuits over that. But we don't have the research yet to to be able to prove that. Uh, and so, yeah, we'll see what, what time brings. Next one is a totally open question that I think has no detail with it to help us answer it. No, I can Literally. answer this question. OK, why am I losing my hair from Lisa? Yeah, so Lisa, I actually have a YouTube video about hair loss with keto or carnivore. Anytime a human being you've put them on any kind of diet that's making them lose weight, it could just be starvation. I locked you in my barn, you're gonna lose hair. Because hair is a non essential thing. You don't need the hair on your head in order to not die. Okay. And so when, when you're when you're losing weight, your body has no idea. Whether you're eating a proper human diet or whether you're in a starvation situation or whether you've uh, fallen down a, a bluff and broke your femur and you're stuck at the bottom of that bluff and your your tribe has left you, your body doesn't know what's going on. All it knows is it's not getting enough protein, not getting enough total nutrition, and so it's going to start cutting off non-needed things, and hair growth is one of those. Uh, When a woman has a baby, also there's hormonal changes. You have a baby, you're going to lose hair. End of story. doesn't matter. You go on a diet of any kind, weight watchers, calorie restriction, keto, carnivore, and you're losing weight quickly, your body's going to turn off your hair. You're going to start losing hair 100% of the time. Uh, If if I put you in a stressful enough situation, sleep deprivation, and (laughs) I'm I'm coming at you 24-7 and won't let you sleep, you're going to lose hair hundred percent. The The human body has hard failsafe set in to protect its core mechanism. And one of those is if times get really tough, you're going to you're going to lose your hair. Your okay. body doesn't give a shit if you've got a long, beautiful mane of hair or not. It doesn't care. It's just trying to keep you from dying. And so when anybody goes keto, keto carnivore, as if they're losing a lot of weight, they're going to lose hair. But what we hear invariably from the, especially the keto, keto carnivore community is if you keep it up, at some point your hair is going to start to grow back more beautiful and luxurious than it's been in years, in many cases, because now you're eating a nutrient-dense diet that's giving your body everything it needs to make luxurious hair. And you're eating enough because you're eating until satiety. So your body knows, oh, there's no famine. Everything's great. And so I'm going to I'm going to start growing some beautiful hair because reproductions back on the table because I'm not worried about starvation or, or end of life because I'm getting this healthy animal fat and protein, which is the ultimate marker, the ultimate signal to your body that, hey, everything's great. Look at all this animal fat and protein we're getting. So then the hair's going to come back. So that made me think about skin, too. Um, this it, it seems a little unrelated, but it made me think of it, so I'll throw it out here for people that might be on this journey. I don't even know what my heaviest weight was. I was too embarrassed to weigh myself. I do know that I hit 290 for sure, and I was probably over 300. I'm 210 sitting here right now, and 5'11, and, and I am beyond fit according to the government statistics with measurements and all now. Now, you'd think a dude that lost 80 pounds or more, would have hanging skin. And so I when I started seeing the weight come off quick, I'm like, I need to do something to head this shit off. And I did some research on it. And what I ended up doing, I bought a really heavy bristled brush. And before I would shower, I would dry brush all my skin, especially around the places I was carrying the most weight. And I have had no need of skin removal surgery. And I really think that there are some things you need to think about when you start thinking about shedding 80, 100 pounds of weight like your body needs to adapt hair loss is one. I, Cause it didn't happen to me. So I didn't think about it, but yeah. Definitely. and I, I love your dry brushing idea. A lot of people after they shower, uh, just using a dry towel and just scrub very vigorously that can stimulate this. But then also the, uh, Oh no, this is not for D. This is just the, 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 the redundant skin. Yeah. The autophagy from the festival that's going to help tighten up loose skin and so any of you guys if you've got over 50 pounds 100 150 200 pounds to lose i love jack's dry brushing idea that makes perfect sense to me that's stimulating and then daily 18 hour fast yeah ramp up that autophagy Uh, i've actually jack i've seen guys you know how some people they're more severely obese 250 pounds they lose the weight They've lost the weight, but you can tell that they used to be severely overweight. Yeah. I've actually seen people that lost all of their weight with keto, keto or carnivore that until they told me and showed me a before picture, me as a trained physician. Because I'm, you know, I'm just look at human yeah. body. That's what I do. Yeah. I would have bet you a 100 bucks that they had never been over over 20 pounds more than what I saw them at they had none of that stigma being previously overweight like yeah, you see yeah. with some people because they did it with the fasting and with carnivore or ketobore. It's like the skin just knows what to do in that situation. Now, it doesn't happen for 100% of people, but I've seen people like I would have bet 100 bucks. They were never overweight, and they, they've lost 200 pounds on a proper human diet with along with uh, good fasting. These question, how long does it take eating meat and eggs only? Does it take to lower insulin levels to healthy level? What else can I do to lower it faster? I think part of that is how bad have you done damage in the first place? Yeah. If your pancreas is churning out insulin like crazy and you have an insulin resistance problem, you can start to see things move pretty quick. If you started where the it's starting to poop out, you're heading for type one diabetes? Like so how bad is the damage would be one thing I'd say. Yeah, the the biochemical physiological changes are going to start the first day, D. Now, the visible results are going to, depending on which result you're talking about, are going to be weeks to months into the future. But many people, their mental health, they can tell the difference in days their 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 body measurements they can tell a difference in days if they start if they if you start checking your fasting insulin you check it before and then you check it a week later it's going to be noticeably substantially better after a week of keto or carnival okay uh but but if you're eating meat and eggs only and you're fasting 18 hours a day it's not going to take many weeks before not only you can notice but your next door neighbor and people that see you at church on sunday are going to be like d what are you doing? You look different. You've changed your hair or something. I mean it, it it's very quickly apparent, especially if you go full bore carnivore with eighteen hour fast, it doesn't take long at all before uh, the the guy next door is going to be asking you questions. There was a time as I started to lose weight, people always noticed the weight loss, yeah, but it really quickly changed to you look younger, exactly. They really quickly changed to that. It was probably yep. a good 120 days in, not just in person too. even people like I did a whole YouTube series when I was going through this. And I think one of my my best moments in it, I picked up a thirty five pound barbell plate and said today, this is how much weight I've lost. And I didn't do it for me. I did it for people watching to get them motivated. And I dropped it. Yep. And And people said, I didn't realize how much weight you lost, but you look like you're 10 years younger. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do one more question, Jack. All right. And then we'll let you go because I know you're busy. Elk River Off-Road says, I've read about the health benefits of almonds, cashews, and pistachios. What are Ken's thoughts? Yeah, all that's total horseshit, Elk River. <laughs> okay. There's no magic uh phytochemicals, phytonutrients. There's nothing magical in any nuts. Uh if an almond or a cashew or a pistachio has been roasted thoroughly enough to decrease the, 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 the anti-nutrient compounds, uh, then the carbohydrate count is okay for nuts. And so remember, there's two things. There's the carb count, total carbs, and then there's how inflammatory is this to your body. And so if you want to know just how inflammatory something is, eat a bunch of raw cashews. Hmm. If hmm. you want to know how inflammatory nuts are, uh, all the, I think all the nuts and seeds, if you're going to eat them at all, they should be soaked, they should be sprouted, they should be roasted, or some combination of all three of those. Then you've removed the inflammatory part, and you're left with just total carb count, which is for some nuts are not that bad. They can be a part of a keto diet, but nah, I used to think raw almonds, man, that's a health food. No, 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 no. Please don't eat any nuts raw, including peanuts, which are not really a nut. But a lot of people in the South think they're actual nuts and they ain't. <laughs> they're legumes. They're, they're legumes. You've got to roast the hell out of peanuts before you can safely eat them or they will cause inflammation in your body. And I'll just add on the nut thing. Like it's really easy to go over your carb count if you're not measuring. They're easy to eat a lot of. They are a nutritional bomb. They're designed to be that. That's what they are. The storage of every bit of energy that that tree takes in through its annual cycle is dedicated to making that acorn or that nut so that it can make a new tree. Yep. And if you pl- if you've ever planted a tree from a seed, the rapidity of growth in the first year or two will tell you how much energy is embodied in that little nut. Uh, gotcha. So definitely be careful. With that. I know you need to go. I'm gonna let you go. There's a bunch more questions. I'm going to hang and do my best, and, and thank you for being with us today, Ken. Thanks for having me, Jack. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Uh, if if Jack answers your question, there's a 99.9% chance that I agree with Jack's answer. All right. Thank you, Ken. And, and we'll just keep rolling here. And like I said, I'm not Ken. I'm not a doctor, but I've been doing this a long time. I'll do my best. Is coconut oil the equivalent of a seed oil from uh, o- Obi Bob Kenobi? Um, to me, no. Ken may give a different answer with this. It is not really a seed oil. It is a, it is a fat. I I would put it. If we take and say, what should we be eating from the standpoint of dietary fats? Animal fats are all good. Then when we get into like less bad vegetative sources of fat, my two that I'm totally okay with are avocado oil and olive oil. Good quality of both. I would put something like coconut oil right in that crossover to where we go into the stuff I wouldn't eat. So I will not not eat it. I think the MCTs the medium-trained triglycerides in coconut oil are great. Uh, There's been research done to show that it actually moderates symptoms of Alzheimer's, but I would not make it my primary dietary fat. That's the nicest I can be uh, in, in my assessment of that. J.A. says, diagnosed with fatty cirrhosis in 2004, went on keto in August 2019, lost from 245 to 200 by March 2020, maintained 205 or six months. I've been going back slowly since. What can I do? First, tighten up and make sure that you're still following the regime that got you where you wanted to be. Because a lot of times over time, we start to wane off of this and we start letting ourselves have things and we stop being rigorous in counting carbohydrates. So make sure you're in the right place. And next, I would say probably consult with uh, an enlightened doctor. Maybe take that question to Ken. I'm not a doctor. And so, uh, hey, hey, Alabama. Bong says, I don't like sardines, so I mix them with salmon, and I can eat them that way. I'll throw another little thing, tip on stuff like that. Uh, liver is one of the best things that you can be consuming. And I, I, I did this years ago, and I think Ken's actually picked it up and started recommending it. I'll get liver and I'll, I'll cut it up in cubes and I'll freeze it. And I'll put that through the grinder frozen. Do not put liver in your grinder without freezing it first. You want a good quality grinder to do this or it'll make mush. And then I package that in basically one ounce packages. Anytime we're going to do ground meat, whatever, if I didn't get a chance to pre-mix it, I pull out a pound of ground meat and I pull out an ounce of liver. Mix that together, you, you know, whatever you're going to do with ground beef, You'll never know it's there. It'll actually enhance the flavor. So that's just a little ad I wanted to give you there. Uh, next, Finn Bear says, I just measured my blood pressure, 131 over 91. How bad is that? I'm going to say it's not that bad. Most doctors will start want to put you on a medication for it, adjust your diets, pay attention to it, and a couple things. One, an individual blood pressure reading means absolutely nothing, especially when you're thinking about it. So it's a good idea to like when you check your blood pressure, throw something down that you find interesting and read it while you get your blood pressure taken. That's what your blood pressure is like on a normal basis. The other thing is beware of something called white coat hypertension. When I go into the doctor, which is rare, and they take my blood pressure, it's always about 10 to 15 points higher than it is when I take it at home. There are people that we just react to that clinical environment. I know Ken's talked about that as well. So Keep an eye on it. Blood pressure is a concern, but don't get nuts over it. Do you have any concerns about the high dioxins in meat? My answer to that is absolutely not. I do not. Uh, I'm not worried about eating meat at all. My life got better when I started eating all meat. Uh, Jason says, my wife's type 2 recently. She found out she's allergic to beef and pork. Can the allergy be remediated? Usually people that end up allergic to meat, it is due to a bite by a tick, and it does go away in time. If there's another reason for it, I'm not really sure. Uh, Just finding out, and and I know you, Jason, you've been to my place a few times. I'm assuming your wife's about your age. If you're just finding out about an allergy now, I question whether it's actually an allergy or it's an allergy to something in the meat, though I know you're doing a lot of pasture-raised animals yourself, so um, you're probably eating pretty clean meat, so I'm not sure about that. But there is definitely an illness that's caused by ticks, uh, that causes an allergy, usually specifically to red meat. And that is almost always co- self-correcting within six months to 18 months of time. Uh, Deborah Johnson said, don't get me started on how difficult it is to get requested blood tests via uh, uh, versus standard blood testing. There's a way to do that, and that is for my health doctor, I would like these tests. This is from Ken, by the way. And when they say, well, I don't think you need them or whatever. Well, then I would like you to put down in my permanent medical record that I requested these tests and you said that I didn't need them. Do you know what your doctor's going to do? Ninety nine percent of the time they're going to go ahead and order the tests so you can have them done. And you can go to LabCorp or something like that. Save a lot of money. Pay cash is the way I do with blood tests, uh with things like that, because um, you know who reads medical records? Lawyers. Lawyers read medical records. So when you phrase it that way, you're probably going to get what you're asking for. And Chartreuse says, even black walnuts need roasting? Yes, it's a nut. It should be roasted. That's what I'm going to tell you. That would be my advice on any and all nuts is to go ahead and roast them. With that, guys, hope you enjoyed today's show. Like I said, I didn't really plan on having Ken on. I just basically hit him up and asked him for a list of labs. and said, I said, hey, wait a minute. Would you like to come do this with me? He said, yeah. So we had Ken here for almost two hours. That's pretty badass. Uh, heading into the last week of the year for new podcasts. Uh, next week will be all rewinds. But we do have regularly scheduled programming right up until Thursday this week when we will run the uh, Survival Podcast uh, Christmas special. If you are new to TSP because you came here because of Canon, and you're still around, thank you for still being here. Please check out the Survival Podcast. We do talk about subjects like this on occasion, but we talk about lifestyle design as a whole. If you like what you heard today, if you want to raise your own meat, grow your own food, you want to know how to be better prepared, you want to know how to build a business, you want to know how to, to navigate the economic times we're in, come check us out. We're really good at this. Been doing it 15 and a half years years now. Two-time podcast of the year award winner and over 3,400 episodes. So come check us out. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. And real quick here, I want to remind you again, for those of you that are in the Dallas-Fort Worth area specifically, uh, I am running a composting class uh, very, very soon here. Uh, We are going to be doing this at my farm It's right now tentatively for January 6th or 7th. Sometimes when I do these small half day classes, people drive in from pretty far out. I'm going to suggest you don't plan on doing that unless you can do it like wake up that morning and be here that day because we need some flexibility in this. I need to get this done for the online class I'm about to release. I want to add this as a bonus to it. I think it will make things a lot better. That's why I'm asking people to come. Anybody that comes to the class and we're limited to 10 students. Uh, we'll come hang out here for half a day. We're going to have great food. It will be highly keto carnivore. I promise you that. And uh, we'll have a great time. And we're going to build a bioreactor with all my latest innovations to it. And uh, you'll also get the online course for free. But we can have a really great, beautiful day or we can have a really crappy day in January. The further out we go, I have to have my guy come video it. He's not available for the next two weekends. That puts us at the end of the month. So. Check it out. Please consider coming. I'd really appreciate it if you did. And then uh, my uh, one of the ways I monetize this show is I recommend products and services uh, through Amazon and I do reviews on them. And I don't own this book. It's one of the f- actually I do. I got it on Kindle just so I could talk about it intelligently. Artisan bread in five minutes a day. If you want to make your own bread, this is a good way to do it. And you're going to find you're going to eat a lot of less bread if you have to make it yourself. When you control what goes in it, you can avoid things like seed oils, like high fructose corn syrup. Go look at that loaf of bread that you buy and feed to your kid and think it's healthy. That says all natural, whole grain, blah, 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 whatever on it. It probably has as the second or third ingredient high fructose corn syrup right after bleached wheat. Uh, Definitely check this out. If you're going to be eating breads in spite of everything that Ken and I said today, and uh, I think you will find that you will have a better experience, even though it's not the best choice for you. Last but not least, consider becoming a member of my membership program. If you do that, you get discounts and more than pay for it. And tomorrow I'll catch you with a totally new and totally different episode. Again, if you were here from the Ken Berry crowd, thank you for tuning in today. I really appreciate it. Give us a chance. You might learn a lot. Uh, Ken, I'll put it this way. i showed show you pictures of me when I was fat. Ken used to be fat, too. And when Ken was a fat doctor telling lies to his his patients, which that's his own words, not mine, he was driving around listening to this show. That's how far back we go together. If Ken likes it and you're a Ken fan, you might like it, too. They Check it out, guys, and everyone down. else. I will catch you tomorrow with another live stream. Are they going to bail you out just run you around?